previously on Perfect Weekly. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Lady Chi. And I'm Jen's mom. Hi, y'all. <laughs> How's it going? Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. We would never ever say Snape scathed. We would say Snape said scathingly. 640,000 years ago, that third of America blew up. Boys and girls, <laughs> there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. So Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> do you own a pig? No, but I do have a goat. Really? We don't have a lawnmower. What's the goat's name? Bernard. Oh, my God. I'm not going to lie. I have to- I have no idea what's going on. Somebody explain to me what just happened. Have you been here the whole time? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh, Vicodin. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. And I run after my car. <laughs> I've just finished taking a test on what's your seduction style. I have got to take that test. I don't know what that noise was that came out of Gambin's mouth. But I think it caused some women in the audience to become infertile. Oh, I love the social intercourse so varied. It gets me so excited for the guy this is like the Manhattan Project. Superman is Moses. Honestly, don't you people read? Okay. The two Superman is not Moses. Moses is dependent on Aaron. See, Batman depends on Robin. If you're going to do Moses the guy that was lost in the desert for like 40 years? That's just going to buy confidence and crime-fighting ability. There's like auditoriums with movies that you can go in and sit and watch. Not while on the toilet. There's no way we have wank. We don't care enough about the fans of to have wank. What a god, if you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Jen got pregnant on a boat. You know how hard it would be to impregnate yourself on a boat? Don't take offense to this, guys. You guys are the most dysfunctional people. These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Come here, I'm so sorry. I just kicked my dog in the head. <laughs> and now. Hey guys, it's Julia, and I have news. The full moon is rising, the pack is in the den. For July 18th. 2008. For July 18th. 2008. For July 19th, 2008. This is episode 51 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place. Welcome to the place. Welcome to the place. But the story never ends. Hey, Ron. The next time you're... Welcome back to Butterfake Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Scott. Mike. Mike, Mike are you ch- broadcasting from a chapel of some kind? Or <laughs> Mike! Mike! Mike. <laughs> I heard that too. Let's try that one last time. And welcome back to Butterfake Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Scott. Mike. Mike, you never say I'm Mike. You always just announce your name and like it's like, Mike, present! <laughs> All right, now, here's the deal. Well, first of all, we would like to say there is actually a fourth person with us this evening, uh, Anne, the author of Living with Danger, the head of the pack, or, you know, the, our head cub, whatever we're... I'm, I'm new to the story. I'm on Chapter 37. I'm not sure what the terminology is. Is actually with us this evening. She's on mute, 
uh, listening to our recording this evening, sitting on her hands, biting her lips off because Mike has brought predictions with him. But Anne is actually here, and, and I would tell her to say hi now, but no one would hear it. So let's just pause for a moment for Anne. Okay, that was just kind of weird, but I'm glad that we did that. Okay, now, just for those of you who have been with us for a while, we've done 50, 60, 70, 80 episodes. We've been here for like 27 years. We've done many different episodes. You know, Biorific Weekly is like a cult phenomenon. Now, you may have noticed we're a little strange. You know, in some episodes, oh, just a little bit. In some episodes, you know, we get pulled over speeding, or we get pulled over because our taillights are out, or we nearly die, and then we come back, or we're on Vicodin. Uh, you know, the mailboxes flying through the air, Buddha rooms. You know, we, we just have this entire land. You know, I'm picturing Jen right now being lifted over a flood with dairy products in both hands. Like, chasing cars. Everything I'm basically describing right now has to do with Jen. But, you know, other people can take part <laughs> in this as well. Now, I've determined, now I've done an in-depth analysis. Now, I'm not, I usually don't flaunt this, but I've gone to college. Now, I did an in-depth analysis that involves spreadsheets, it involves Microsoft Access, I phoned people, I've done polling, the University of Michigan has been involved, and, I, and I've, I've tried to extrapolate what it is about Potterfic Weekly that gives us that strange version of oomph. And I have finally narrowed it down. I know who to blame now. It's the women. <laughs> it is the women. The women do something to us. They get in our heads and strange things happen. So tonight we are going testosterone only. Look around. You're not going to see a lot of estrogen this evening. Except for Anne, who is unfortunately silent because of our new testosterone-only policy. <laughs> Anne, very sorry. So tonight it is Scott, and it is Mike and I, and we are going to... You were, you were never going to see a more organized... <laughs> yes, I know I'm on the sixth minute of my monologue. You were never going to see a more organized podcast than this. We're only covering a mere 17 chapters tonight. And I'm not lying to you, everybody. We're considering moving on into subsequent fix if there's time left over at the end of the hour. <laughs> Everyone laughs at me because I'm amusing. So, with now, I should ask, because usually this is around the point where Lady Chi screams, I hate my sink! Has, has anyone had, like, a rough week? Has anything had, like, like pipes bursting, illegal immigrants, you know, hiding in your basement? Has anything happened to anyone this week? I've been waging war against these two pictures I've been having hanging up. Like, every time I put one up, uh -huh. the other one falls down and all the glass shatters, and I have to pay to get it fixed, and then I hang that one up, and the, the other one falls down and breaks. And the glass it's happened shatters. Like, yeah, and it's happened like three times. I'm staring right at the one that's hanging up now. You're not sitting directly under it, are you? No, no, I'm slightly diagonal from it, yeah. All right, well, <laughs> I, would, I would back away from it, back away from it, and... um. It implies there's some type of haunting going on, don't you think? I mean, pictures don't fall. In the... How much have you spent I... to get the glass fixed? Altogether, probably like 80 bucks. Have you ever yeah. thought of going plastic? Do, do they do that, really? Yeah. They're kind of nice pictures. I think part of the <laughs> they were, they keep falling off the wall. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, like, I've also bent, like, 50 nails trying to drive them into the wall to hang it up. I think that might be part of the, because the walls are cinder blocks, and I keep, I don't know it's it's pretty hard to drive the nails in. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I think I think we're doing damage to to you know our motto of the men are the organized reasonable ones. So we're going to move on to Scott for the moment. Scott, how are you? I'm fine. How is Canada, yeah. Scott? Doing pretty well. This part of it's kind of dry and keeps telling us we're getting rain and we don't get it. 
So I think all our rain ran off and flooded you guys. Yes. So That is unfortunate. America has been cut in half by floods at the moment. I'm in Massachusetts, so I'm on dry land right now. Although, as Julia can unfortunately attest to, when the tsunami comes, I am the first to go. So... You know what I've heard, though? That, that if you're going to invest in any country, uh-huh. you should be investing in Canadian or Russian shipping. Because they're saying because of the what, the crazy weather, uh-huh. all of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada, and uh-huh. it's going to open up new shipping lanes. I have a question, though. Yeah. If, if northern Canada melts, would that not <laughs> flood the world and kill us all? <laughs> It'll flood only the coast, but there'll be new shipping lanes. Let me get this straight. You want me to invest all my money in Canadian shipping lanes, even though I'll be dead. <laughs> you can you can move to Canada with your newfound money. Am I going to get warning before this happens? Is this like a seven-year <laughs> melt, or is this like you wake up on Tuesday and there's a rush of water coming at you? I, I have no idea. All I know is it's happening. It's coming. All right, I, I have to just say this. Anne, in our private message here, has just said the following, quote-unquote. So I think I've pretty much established myself as nuts. I just want to say this. Compared to what you've heard in the last few minutes, she thinks she's nuts. (laughs) Anne is a person who I think needs us, because the longer she spends with us, the more normal Anne will be by comparison. Just throwing that out there for review. So if anyone has financial questions, Mike will hang around after the podcast to answer them for you. Please have your credit card standing by. (laughs) All right, now... We are going to jump in immediately to chapter 24 of Living with Danger. We're going to cover, uh, where are we going? We're going from Tonks' sorting up until Dolores' umbrage's little orgasmic explanation of why, who I believe Cornelius Fudge, you know, is her master, which, if it isn't <laughs> Cornelius Fudge, it's a little eerie, but you know, whatever. So, um, before we go there, Mike, you have a prediction of the week. You don't find out if I'm right or not. Up in thirty-seven, but my prediction was. Now let's just stop for let's just let's just stop for one moment. Mike, can you run us through some of your past predictions, just for those of us who are new? Some past predictions that you've had. I don't know what past predictions have I had. I love this fic, and I think that one of the key things, like to this fic, that like immediately hooks people is like, is even though it's a quote-unquote slash fic, it is. You don't read the first five chapters. It is. Yeah. yeah. I missed that. <laughs> Mike is here tonight. Now, this is going to be exciting for those of you who are familiar with Mike's podcasts. Mike has read Naked Quidditch Match, as have we all. Mike, we have a question for you. You've read all ten chapters? Uh, yes, I did tonight. Okay. What do you think happened? <laughs> Draco, Hermione, and Ginny all were after Harry. and He's kind of like, he doesn't want them all. So he's... Because they had the, the Naked Quidditch Match, which makes Draco, Ginny, and Hermione all sort of start chasing him. Trying to blackmail him, <laughs> and then you have like the thing with Voldemort. He going started. On. I have to be a You're, being, you're not. You're not being serious right now. Yeah. No, wait. Hermione blackmails him with naked pictures, right? Ginny's trying to. <laughs> <laughs> blackmail Harry. Was Draco even in the fic? <laughs> yeah, he, he fondling Harry when they're. <laughs> so did Ginny not do one through nine either, or is Harry just? <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, shit. 
Have you had the talk yet, Mike? You'd want it to be believable. I mean, I read a story the other day where Molly got pregnant after the final battle and had triplets. So, wow. you know, that, I don't think that's within reason myself. It was dreadful. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. I read a story similar to that, but it was a uh, Harry was the father. But that's Whoa. hey, that's just another. What sort of thing? Oh, that's even reading? worse. That's that's even we weren't going to bring that up. I'm just, oh. I read one where Harry was the one having the baby. Oh, oh my God! You see Harry as baby? That's enough. How is that possible? It's not. Oh, oh, wait, poor no, Mike. Harry as a baby? How is that even humanly possible? Are you being serious? <laughs> it's not. That's kind of the point because people write some really retarded stuff. <laughs> Are you serious, P.S.? <laughs> Make the man have the oh, baby. No. That's going to be cool. <laughs> have you ever watched Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh, my That's God. That movie is so horrible. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't even say that George was the other. Oh, stop wait, how is that possible? <laughs> wait, how is that possible <laughs> that Harry gave birth to a kid? Yeah. I don't get this. He adopted the kid or did he actually Mike, have do you, the kid? Mike, do you want to read What's the story? That? Do you want to read the story, Mike? No. It sounded like you were implying he actually... <laughs> Had the kid. Harry was the pregnant one. How is that possible? It's the wizarding It's world. not, but magic. It's called magic. Hey, yes, is, with yeah, magic. Is magic possible? Don't you need certain, like, organs to make that work? It's magic. 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 Oh, it's just like a bloodbath in here today. No, Mike. Emprey is not mentioned in canon. I don't magic. think it could happen. Magic or no magic. How do you make stuff float in the magic air? How is that humanly possible? It well, it's not so much as past predictions that you've had. It's you seem to be reading a, like a version of the story that the rest of us do not have access to. You got that there was a Snape Harry adoption angle to it. You're like, no, 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 right. You were with us on that. You were with us on that. Picked it up eventually. He, yeah. Eventually, eventually, he around chapter eighty, he picked up there was something <laughs> going on there. Voldemort's bad. You got okay. So okay, we're 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 up. We're, we're on. Speed. We got the major point. We got the major point now. Now, Mike, walk us through if you can. Um, and if if we spoil the whole thing, we apologize. Forgive us, Anne. Forgive us. Uh, Mike, go ahead. What's your prediction? Well, now my confidence has been crushed a little bit, but no, uh, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. But basically, uh, Aletha is that how you pronounce her name? Aletha, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking she has to be a Death Eater, basically. Ooh. And yeah, and I'm thinking it for two reasons. Like, it came into my head because I'm thinking, well, what's the reason we could possibly have mm-hmm. why we don't ever see her in canon? Because she's not, you know, if she's Sirius's girlfriend, kind of, you yes. would think Sirius would want to get in touch with her in canon after he's, uh, you know, free. And so I'm thinking, well, the only thing I can think, she either has to have died or maybe, like, she turned out in a death theater between, you know, Harry age 6 and Harry age 10 in canon. And then there were, like, a couple of things along the story that kind of reinforced that. Like, when uh, Snape, who obviously would recognize her, maybe, if she went to Death Theater meetings, say, uh-huh. when he when he stumbles across and they find that out, I think I had it highlighted, but she just starts freaking out and panicking. Everyone else is kind of calm, and she's the one that's all panicky about they have to get out of the house. You know, like, oh, my God, what if he recognizes us? What if he comes by? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and there's like a couple of other moments like that where something stuck out of my head. Like, Do you have these moments written down? Do you have these highlighted? I have the, yeah, I have the, one of them. Here we go. Let's jump in. Where are we in the story? What chapter? Chapter 30. Walker's, Confrontations. We're going we're gonna to skip our plan of going in order. We are jumping to chapter 30. Mike, read away. All right. So this is right after Snape just escaped. Mm-hmm. And so Alethea looked out the back door for a moment. We have three hours the pack can get, can get out. We cannot afford to be here when they come, and they will come. Now that Snake knows we're here, he won't hesitate an instant. Sirius bit his lip, looking torn. 
Letha, he said quietly, they're not after you. You haven't done anything. See? And then she goes on, like, you know, and I think that was like a, a hit from Anne, Sirius's reaction. Uh-huh. You haven't done, you think I'm reading too much into that? I'm, I'm not really sure how you're connecting that to she is an enemy spy. <laughs> well, no, like, I, I thought she was an enemy spy mm-hmm. because you need a justification, right, for why she's not in canon. Something has to have happened in canon between Harry being age, whatever it is, six, and him being age 13, that she has no, you know, existence in his, in the uh, canon life. Well, so either she had to have died or she had to have been a Death Eater, right? Well, not, well if you think of it, Sirius is in the canon from Harry, you know, at the end of his third year. You know, the end of his third year, he's there briefly, and then he flies off on Buckbeak. He's in what we can only assume is either a tropical climate or Grimmauld Place throughout most of most of Goblet. And before he is freed, he unfortunately dies. So, but you don't still think she would have been in contact with her if she meant this much? You know what I mean? Like this is supposed. Would to be Harry know that though? Well, Harry wouldn't this, know, but the books I mean, are all from Harry's point well, of view. I mean, it's, it's possible, but I, I guess my, that was my thinking that you need an explanation for why she's not in canon, and so this could be the explanation. That, and then everything else, like like the clip I gave you, doesn't prove she's a Death Eater, but it kind of backs up. You know, well, like if, you, if you go from the premise that she's a Death Eater, then it makes sense. Well, let me throw this out at you: What if during you know Harry's entire fourth year, Sirius is shacked up with Aletha? That's what, I, that's what I'm saying, but you'd think you'd hear some hint of that, you know? Well, Aletha also, in fairness, thinks Sirius, you know, is, is, a, is a crazed, escaped killer. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going right. to lie to you. I dated a girl five years ago. I ran into her at the supermarket tonight, and I ran down the jelly aisle to get away from her. <laughs> so, you know, if Aletha dated the guy, you know, who murdered 13 people, she may not wish to, you know... All right. She might not, but I think Sirius would. Like, once Sirius is out, if... if uh, I mean, I guess the premise I took from this is that it seems like they were on the verge of, you know, getting married when they left. And you think if she meant so much to him, and she's one of the few people left in the world that he still had, you know, from yeah. from before, that he'd want to get in contact with her, not the other way around. Okay. Well, maybe he couldn't, though. Maybe she's maybe, run off to America or... I mean, you know, that's, um, that's you know, certainly possible. There are a I lot of things that could have happened. There are. Yeah. And the Death Eater, I mean, she could have just died, too, for all we know. But well, I, I think Death Eater is a little drastic. We, you know, we, we learned through Covenant of Echoes, you know, spoiler warning, that Tamsin is a bitch who may have been trying to get Harry and, and Ginny part. You know, she may have, you know, been involved in that in some way. And everyone's response at the time in the story was, well, she must be a Death Eater. And my response was, well, she must be a bitch. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I will throw... I will throw this out here. Um, I believe that, you know, the fact that, you know, she was the only one who didn't need to go into hiding implied the fact that she was the only one in the group who was not either under the age of 18 or a convicted felon. Um, and as for whether she is death either, um, Anne, that's really up to you. <laughs> and I'm looking off in the direction of Anne over here, whose mouth is unfortunately taped shut. Any other predictions before we go through here tonight? Um, not predictions. I'll make comments. I had general comments. Oh, I have, I have, I have numerous general comments. So let's jump to chapter twenty-four. Oh yeah, I have a question. Maybe Scott can answer this with twenty-four. Let's do it. How? Because I know you said that she started writing at book five, and I remember thinking as I read this chapter, I wonder if book six came out before she wrote this chapter, and that's kind of why 
And this is kind of the explanation for why Tonks, you know, like Tonks obviously can't go with Remus in this world. So, you know, like kind of like, oh, let me fit in Tonks' story because we learn so much more about her and Remus in book six. This is really bad because I have, maybe I could ask Scott about that. <laughs> Mike, go again. I just thought you didn't like my question. Yeah. I was wondering, I know you said, and uh, you probably mentioned this in previous episodes, that uh, she started writing after book five, right? And I was just curious if she got into this chapter, if you remember, before or after book six came out. Because I was wondering how much, cause I, to my, my eyes, it's clearly lining up Tonks and Charlie as a future couple. So I was wondering how much of this was a reaction to her feeling she needs to do something with Tonks based off book six. And obviously she can't get with Remus in this world. Um, I'm not actually sure how much that was. That was probably a factor at some point, but, um, actually I think it definitely wasn't. I just changed my mind for no reason whatsoever. Well, the one thing I thought that was interesting with it was it was obviously, um, set up as a Tonks, Charlie, um, not, you know, relationship, but, well, yeah, I mean, it was set up as a, as a chonks, chonks. Okay, we're going with chonks. It was set up as a chonks kind of thing, but it was interesting the fact that she ran into Remus in Diagon Alley earlier, and I'm just like, ha 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 ha. You will one day have a child named Ted. But, you know, obviously, Anne didn't know that, and if Anne did, you know, well, basically, she stole a copy of the book or was related to Melinda Leo, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I I don't think that was meant. Sorry, car almost just like drove into my house, so we almost had to pause the podcast for a moment. Ooh, Ooh that was that. Yeah, it's only the women, guys. It's only the women who are causing problems for us. Um, let's talk about chapter twenty-four here. One of the th- one of the things I really love about the story is, um, in one of the previous author notes, Anne had mentioned to everybody, "Should I torture?" the Dursleys, you know, from now until the end of time, or should I just leave it right here? And obviously there was an opinion poll put up, and it was, you know, very much in favor of torturing the Dursleys from here until the end of time. And I just thought that was really great how, you know, just over the course of the story, you just get to see just the absolutely awesome ways that Anne tortures these two characters. Because, you know, it's it's like the scene when... Umbridge gets carried off by the centaurs. There's that moment where you're doing like the little flitwick, you know, arm pumped up in the air thing. And it's great that, you know, throughout the story, we just get those little moments. You know, first we find out that Dudley is now a wizard and, you know, Petunia is living in a small, crabby apartment with him. And then he's taken by the Department of Social Services. And Petunia's response is, mm, I can live with that. So I just, See, I, felt, I felt horrible for that. Like, I, like, I don't know, I didn't have an arm pump. I was like, oh my god. She, like, I, I know she, she was so bad to Harry, but I still felt pretty horrible for, for her. Well, I, th- I don't think she's actually indifferent to it. She's just, she's trying to be because it uh, impacted her so much. Well, I think that's... Uh, like, there's a whole thing on the, like, here it is in the chapter. She yeah. says, uh, she, he's someone else's problem now, she thought absently. Just as well, really. He was starting to act funny. Like the time when he was crying, I told him and told him to be quiet, and when I didn't, I spanked him, one of the light bulbs shattered. No more coming home early to take care of him, no more expenses for babysitters or daycare, no worries about getting him into school. This may actually be a good thing for me. But slowly, spots of moisture began to appear on her sleeve. So she's ag- she's c- trying to convince herself this stuff, but she's crying into her... Soup, basically. Yeah. Right. And I, I felt bad for her. Like, I, I know she was so horrible to Harry, but that's, I mean, you know, Dudley's 
both in here and in canon, Dudley's like her life. I felt kind of sad that that she lost him. Well, let me let me take the other side here. You know, I'll take the position of I'm in favor of you know children being snatched from their parents. <laughs> when you think of Petunia Dursley as a mother, she's a woman who obviously has affection for her child, but she never quite looks out for the best interests of her child. And she certainly doesn't look out for the best interests of anyone else in her care, you know, vis-a-vis the way she, she treats Harry. Now, I'm trying to picture this. You know, I'm a parent, and, and the state comes to my door and takes my kid away from me. If you're a parent, you have to put your child first, always. And, you know, they have the person take the kid away from you, and, you know, the door is shut, and you're alone in your apartment. For your first reaction to then be, oh, who needed them anyway? They were a lot of hard work. And sit down. That's putting yourself first, and that you're trying to make yourself feel better about the situation. And then when you realize you are sad, then, you know, your eyes tear up, and you're like, you know, this is a bad thing for me. It It never seems like within that scene she puts her kid first. She's not worried, you know, where will Dudley, you know, be brought? Who will be watching him? Will they be good people? It's like concern for him doesn't really come into it. It's all about her, which it should be. I mean, she's a very self-centered person. You know, the Dursleys are very self-centered people. So it's, uh, I never, I, I, I feel no compassion for it. I don't know. I, mm. I, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I felt sympathy. And I frequently vote Democratic, and I I felt no compassion for I just think that like, the self-centeredness is her way of, I mean, she's obviously not a emotionally healthy person. I think it was just her way of trying to deal with the loss. I don't think, like, like I honestly feel that she cares more about her son than she cares about herself. And that, you know, like, like legitimately, I, like, she's, I can see her being willing to sacrifice herself for her son. It's the same for Lily sacrificing herself for Harry. She just might not be as good a person as Lily. Maybe canon-wise, I think... Well, and the thing that Anne did, too, is Anne brought, you know, the Tursley's on a little bit of a journey here from, you know, where they were in canon all the way down to, the, you know, the bottom of the barrel. But, you know, you have to understand, too, that she's likely gone through so much stress and so much, you know, so much loss and, and Vernon's in jail and, you know, the, the, yeah. the perfectly manicured facade. And does it make you feel sorry for her? No, no. <laughs> you know what? Crap happens to bad people. I, I, I was just in the situation myself. My mother works in an environment where some of it's not politics, but it was so much of a political environment. And three people tried to make a political move against my mother, you know, to make her look bad and to, and to gain favor themselves. And they sucked in a lot of power for a few weeks. And what happened is it totally backfired on them and they got humiliated in front of all the people they were trying to impress. And they looked like fools and my, and my mother came out on top. And you know what? That They had it coming. You know what? I, I wish them no ill will, but I'm very glad to see that they tried to do something immoral and got called on it. I mean, w- when you look at Petunia, even in the later chapters, that you know, there's the point where Vernon is eventually released near the end of the chapters for tonight, and the first thing she does is have sex with him for 27 hours, and you know, the neighbors are you know, this cat screaming, and there's people smashing brooms <laughs> against the ceiling, and her, and even when she makes the list of things to do. List one, get Vernon a job. Number two, go get Dudley in six months. And it never even seemed, maybe I just misread that, it never really seemed like, you know, the, the end of everything is to get Dudley back. It never seemed like that was a huge priority for it, but maybe I just misread that. So that was my um, impression of that one. Uh, the other thing I want to mention about Chapter 24 is uh, the scene with Lucius Malfoy at Azkaban. One of the things I really love about that scene is you have Lucius trapped in a cell. Now, we obviously know that this isn't a complete victory because, you know, Dolores on Bridge has like, had contact with Lucius and, you know, he's not, I don't believe he's thrown away forever. I believe we'll, we'll see the return of Lucius Malfoy at some point. Um, but, you know, he's, he's in a cell and he is forced to 
witness, you know, what his son has become, Draco Black. He's forced to witness, you know, that type of humiliation. Not that, you know, obviously the same level that, you know, Petunia's had to go through. Just like Petunia, his worst fear has come true. He's lost his son. He's lost his prestige. He's lost his family. He's lost his wealth. He's been publicly humiliated in front of everyone. And he's sitting in a cell. And, you know, he is forced to watch everything he has lost. There's no one to hear him scream. And finally, he just gives in. And he just cries and screams. And his response is, well, no one's going to see me anyway. What the hell does it matter? And I just think that's a great moment. You're breaking two characters down, you know, to the point where they have absolutely nothing left. How do they react? And I always just think, as a story device, that's a really fun thing to do, to show you what the character is made of. And what do they do when they have absolutely nothing left and no recourse? I mean, I've seen many characters in different genres I really respect do great things in that position. You've seen some strong people cower in that position, and I think you've seen some really heinous people just completely lose it. You know, if when, when you can see Lucius Malfoy, Dolores Umbridge, and Petunia Dursley in one story get humiliated, we're two out of three so far, I'm feeling pretty good. So that's 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 my take on that. I did like that. I like Malfoy's do not sing. <laughs> they do not play instruments. And I think also, going with you, what you said too, is that if you had offered him the choice, he probably would have preferred to die than to oh, lose yeah. his dignity and kids and what have you. Yeah. It, it, that's just something I'll never understand because it, it, it's one thing to, you know, fight for something you believe in or die for something you believe in, but that's not something that you believe in. I just don't understand that because it's such a selfish want that you would think anyone who is selfish would, you know, prefer to live and be humiliated rather than die and look heroic. You know what I mean? Because it, it just seems like if you're that selfish, you're going to go all the way. Well, you see, I almost think it has a... I don't know, an insecurity thing at the root of it, rather than a selfish thing, in that he, if you think of people like Malfoy in real life, or Draco Malfoy, is that they don't have a independent self-image. They have to, they tie their image, I mean, mm-hmm. let me rephrase. His whole life they, is they built around the Malfoy name. Uh, he has to pin himself on this uh, image of the Malfoy name, rather than be himself. True. I like the... In the sort of the same place, he said, where he says, um, if he must sing at the very least, he does it well. That sort of, that encapsulates a lot about, um, about Lucius as a character. It's like very grudging respect. It's, it's, at least he does it well. It's like, he's just, it's like Draco is a complete stranger to him. And he's, there's no fatherly pride. There's no affection really of any kind. It's like a stranger on the street. One of the very funny prank things happens in this chapter. Uh, I was amused by it anyway. A number of people liked it. I guess it's the first time that the the cubs, the young ones, get to do their own pranking instead of just Sirius and Remus doing pranks. And uh, Padfoot ends up covered in uh, condiments. I, d- I just like the phrasing of some of it. You fell asleep in the sun. That made you hot. Therefore, you were a hot dog. And certain inhabitants of this den took advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> I want those pictures destroyed. I, I don't know. I just have this weird <laughs> feeling I'm going to have 17 kids one day, and I will be covered in ketchup, and I will be remembering this podcast. That's all I can say <laughs> at this point. All right, and just to add for a moment, um, we, we just heard from Anne for, um, briefly. She would like you all to know that as a young child, she um, covered her dog in condiments. She feels very badly. She knows it wasn't the right thing to do, and she would ask that the good people from PETA not contact her directly. So, 
if PETA is listening to this, please email Jen at PotterfickWeekly.com and we'll try and negotiate on behalf of Anne. Um, but I do want to say to Anne, you know, now that we got over the, pa- the fact that she, you know, covered her dog in condiments, I really like the way that she writes the kids. Spe- like, especially when they're younger, it seemed like an episode of the Rugrats at times. But I, I just really like the way that she writes kids and writes adolescents. And it's just, it's just, it, 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 you know, this kid, it, it, it could be so boring. It could be so uninteresting to read. And it's not. It really feels like a bunch of little people with their own personalities walking around. But it, I am amused by the fact that Harry is, is Tommy Pickles. I never really thought of that one. But just throwing that one out there for consideration. Um, moving on a little bit, why don't we jump down to... Well, actually, while we're still in um, Chapter 24, and just as we move on, I just want to say that she really nails, I think, the character of Tonks very well going through these characters. Her Tonks, as you know, someone who's just entering Hogwarts going through her first few years, is uh, someone who's very insecure of herself. She wants friends. She obviously cares for Charlie very much. She wants to have a secret that she can share with him. She's a very good person. She's always checking in with her mother before she shares anything. She doesn't want to get anyone in trouble. She's not, you know, a Slytherin type of personality. In this story, she's a Gryffindor, not a Hufflepuff like myself. She's a Gryffindor in this story. But I just, I really think that, you know, sometimes the character of Tonks, you know, we just did Coven of Echoes where Tonks is, is, is much older. She's in her, um, God, she's got to be in like her 30s at that point, mid-30s. And she's a very serious character. I think this Tonks, you know, as an 11-year-old, you know, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, it's just a, she's a really fun character. I think she works well with, with the character of Charlie, and I, I, I'm just impressed by the way she writes them. Sometimes the ancillary characters really annoy me, and, and that didn't happen here at all. And I do enjoy the fact that she, you know, th- there's that scene with Snape where she trips like 17 times in the potions dungeon, and he's, you know, after her for whatever reason, and you can actually believe that she's tripped 17 times, you know, through the potions dungeon. It just occurred to me, you were talking about her being not very Slytherin, that this story in a lot of ways reminds me kind of, it, it's kind of like the inverse of A Year Like None Other, where it's it's about a family, but where you're like, no, there's sort of like a Slytherin-based family. This is kind of the prototypical Gryffindor family that we're seeing now. Um, it's kind of like we saw a Slytherin version of family, and this is kind of the Gryffindor version. And it, I, I don't know. The more I think about it, I see parallels. Like, Harry was the one sort of Gryffindor background in the Slytherin family, and now it's kind of Draco's the one slightly Slytherin background in the Gryffindor family. Well, you might have sense that Draco has a Slytherin background. I mean, Draco was taken from his house when he was, like, two years old. <laughs> after, <laughs> you know I mean? just... after he helped single-handedly defeat his father, the train death eater, you know, with a bunch of kids in their diapers and their, you know, the, the crap. Singing. Yeah, singing and jumping on his head, but, you know... <laughs> He he kind of lost his inner Slytherin. Like I, I can see him being sorted into Gryffindor now. Like he he they, they got to him in time. I think when you're in diapers, you you still have time. But, got to uh, him in time. That implies there's something wrong with Slytherin. <laughs> I think there's something wrong with the Malfoys. Let's just say that. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, but other than that, though, I think I guess my my larger point being that this is kind of the first fic I've read where it's sort of the Gryffindor Gryffindor dynamics of a family versus a Slytherin dynamic. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, the the, the danger, you know, no pun intended, <laughs> I mean, funny, the danger <laughs> with, with the type of story like this is it has the potential to be too perfect. And it has the potential to be, 
you know, like that story I that shall not be named that I, the, the fic I was reading <laughs> when I started the podcast where it's literally 27 chapters of Harry laying in this couch watching television. And, and then like, you know, chapter 28, you know, we got a plot. He had to go to the grocery store. He was out of juice. And it was just like, Oh my, like literally I've got, like, I've, I have like, just so you know, I have a new sofa bed. I just bought, a, I'm sitting on a bus sofa bed at Jennifer convertible, you know, salesperson drove me nuts by the way. Anyway, it's like, I, I'm reading this and I'm beating myself over the head with the softest cushion in the world. That's not injured me enough to put me out of my misery, but like stories like that can absolutely drive me nuts, and I, I'm not finding that with the Dangerverse series. I think for two reasons. Reason that at least there's one, a at least there's a Death Eater. Well, at least that, well, at least unfortunately, it's Death Eater, and that you know, based on the fact that everyone obviously knows that through all of the very you know direct clues that you know the flashing neon lights that that Anne is putting before the audience, you know, it's like. Clark Kent with the glasses, like everyone can tell it's him, but everyone in the room. Um, but you know, the, the, the characters themselves—they don't take themselves incredibly seriously, and that's that's plot on some level. I'm trying to think of a good rationale for it. Like when you when you read like a like a particular genre, like when you re, when you watch like a Superman movie, or you know read a comic book, or you know Batman, or you know Star Trek Voyage, or the Star Trek that shall not be named. You have a particular plot. You have the plot of you know the, the the family on the run. You know the quote unquote. You know they're they're one step above the witness protection program. You know they're 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 desperate not to be caught. In you know they're trying to provide a, you know a life for their kids, and, and and you see them obviously take risks with that. They want their kids to have a normal life, so they're not you know a hundred percent into the deception and they're, and they're and they're trying to be you know somewhat open and let their kids have somewhat normal lives but then there's chance you know it, it, it they're, they're very cavalier about it as well they send cards to snape they're at hogwarts like every other day <laughs> like that was like reading these chapters like for the first time it just amused me i'm like okay you're in hiding <laughs> but they're like at hogwarts every day and they're walking <laughs> by snape and it's like Come on, you're asking for it at this point. And it's, 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 it's like you know what I mean. It's like, or it's it seems like they're only half trying at times, and that's either because they just believe you know they they either the, the people who are out to get them are incredibly stupid, or that they're just not being serious enough with it. And I really think it's it's the latter. It's they're not being serious enough with it because you know when they go to Alethea's aunt's house, they're like, "Okay, listen to me. Having triplets is a really, really bad cover story. You can't use that story anymore. <laughs> and you have to stop." And and she gives them tips like, "Why don't you say you're from America, not from Hogwarts? Because maybe then everyone you meet won't be like, why have I not met you before?'" And and I have to tell you. We come from a fandom where Harry is frequently pregnant, and you know, Mike, just brace yourself; it, it happens, and he delivers children on his own through butt sex. You know, for nowhere here. Wait, too. what? Through what? Uh, uh, Mike, just look at the previous PMcast episode. So, you know, it, we have a very diverse fandom, and sometimes Harry is a cat, and sometimes <laughs> Harry is is a teenage girl. You know, having PMS and like sometimes there's a there's a side to this fandom that just amuses me at times. Okay, Ryan, you gotta send me some fix because I don't know. <laughs> CPS PS has the butt sex fix. Go CPS. Okay, that's not the one I want. I want the cat one. There's the cat one's out there too. There's a cat one out there. So this is the fandom that we have. This is the first story I have ever read that plausibly made Harry a small black child. 
<laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true, and it's abs- it makes absolute sense. And all I can think of is if you know, sometimes you read your favorite fix and you think to yourself, you know, they, you know, they they, they could do many things with this. They could make this into, you know, a full, they could make this into a movie. They could film this. It's, it's a, all I can picture is Dan Radcliffe would be fired because he's now black child. Like I just thought, I'm reading it. I'm like. That is creative. I can live with, but it's just like it's it just you know I've never seen that before in Evic, but it, and it makes plausible sense. But you know, th- like literally, he he's he's Harry. His they kept his first name of Harry, and he's walking around <laughs> Hogwarts with his scar on, and they changed the color of his hair with his brother Drake. <laughs> and, well, he's know, Reggie at that point. Well, he's Reggie at that point. That's very true. But I just but- like. Are you honestly like, and I, and I mean, it, it was amusing me to no end reading it, and that's the type of story that it is. Now, I, just to jump into chapter twenty-five, I love the character of Severus Snape. I, I, he, uh, yeah. he, he, he amuses me so much, you know, during these chapters, and um, dear Professor Grumpy, yes. So, <laughs> but but here's but here's the thing. This now, this, this is this is Superman for 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 purposes of argument. These chapters are Superman. You have, you know, the, the the people with the most obvious secret in the world, but not everyone is catching on to it. Now we've read Snape from a year like none other, who's who's brilliant. And we, one thing I've noticed about Anne's characters is that they're not like. Here's the thing: I can't tell if they're not like me or if they're not like regular people. And let me say what <laughs> I believe. But no, seriously, I mean, what I believe about it is this. I have no idea where my car keys are right now. I drove several hours ago. Tomorrow morning when I'm leaving for work, I will have no idea where my car keys are. I asked Danielle, she works third shift, my fiance. I asked her today how work was last night. Danielle didn't go to work last night. I was up with her during most of the evening watching a movie. I should know that, but I still asked her how her night at work was. Because people are, are dopey and they forget things and that's that's just people. Now, I've noticed that everyone in this universe seems to have incredible... Like, picture Ron and picture, you know, for the moment, picture um, picture Snape. Ron, because he has no friends, remembers Harry and Hermione at the playground, and he, <laughs> he, he's fixated. He remembers, like, every detail. And years after running into a couple play, kids at the playground, all he remembers is, I wish they were my friends. Now, picture Snape, okay? You were Severus Snape. You are the, you are a double agent. You, you know, you, you have to fool Voldemort, you know, or Dumbledore or both, you know, depending on where we are in the storyline. And you, you are, you, you are just a, a, a brilliant human being. Now, Harry Potter, Draco Malfoy, and Sirius Black walk by you every day. And I love the moments where, like, I'm, 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 like, okay, now they have to be morons to do that. But then if you think about it, he's sitting in his chair and he's going, now there was, I don't have the dialogue in front of me, but there was actually a moment where something so blatant happened in front of him. And you could picture him sitting at his kitchen table with a cup of tea in his hand with that inquisitive, huh? Like Peter Griffin look on his face. And all of a sudden, you can see the changing seasons behind him. And he now has a beard, and it's now fall. And he's still sitting there trying to figure out what he just... It's like he's... It's like, I love the moment where he's like, I must make a note of this. And he writes the clues down and puts them in his book, his book. And then like a year and a half later, he's like, if only I could remember the name of the kid. And he pulls the thing out, he's like, 
yes, son, have it. It's like, I have to say, he, like, it's just, it just, it just, it just, it just, it, just, it, it, it cracked me up, the, the characterization, because, like, I just, I, you know what it was, though? I loved it, because I had such a fun time reading it, because I'm like, you would think you would be God, but luckily Snape is just, mi- like, if Ron were there, Ron is sharp as a tack. He would be everything like left and he would be solving all these problems but unfortunately he's six and they won't let him go to school yet but you know everything just flew over it cracked me up i loved it and well, he puts it together though he he does he puts it together but that was the thing it was that he's like if only i could put this where have i seen that face before because <laughs> i'm like it's serious black think about it it's just oh uh, i Sirius was in dog form the whole time. He's never seen that. But no, then they call him Padfoot. And then she's like, he named... That's right, yeah, he named the dog at the same time. I'm like, granted, he had no idea he was an Animagus, but think! Like, do you imagine... Can you imagine if if they said, okay, here's the deal. Well, we're at Hogwarts. We're going to name Padfoot Bill. The whole thing could have been avoided. It's just like, come on, but it just it cra- it absolutely crack it, it it just it it, cra- it, it just it, it cracked me up. I just I just I love that early characterization of Snape because he has the he, he's a difficult character to write. He's either too smart or he's too stupid. I just I just I, I enjoy them because it it was I don't know if Anne intended it, but it was a, it, it wasn't whimsical, but it was very um she I had fun reading it, so I hope she had fun writing it, and it, it wasn't. Bland. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't CSI. He wasn't like, you know, down taking the prints off the doorknob. Like it was just, it, it, it just, it absolutely cracked me up. And I just, okay, Anne is typing to me. Definitely fun. So I'm, you know what, Anne? I got one. That was the one thing I, I predicted. But um, he just absolutely cracked me up. Now, just to jump around through the chapters because we have like seventeen of them. So just let's hit some serious plot points. Okay. So ser- so so the character of Snape decides. I'm going to attack, <laughs> and I'm going to be world famous. People will love me. I can tell. So they're going. So now I can't think of what is the um, the type of magic that he's able to do where he can see anything like anywhere in the world. Scrying. Scrying. That freaks me out a little bit. He can see anything that he can concentrate on or already has already seen. True. It still freaks me out a little bit. Like, especially, like, later on when Luna's mother's like, I'm sure Molly won't mind me spying on her. I'm like, she will if she's having sex with Arthur. <laughs> like, this guy. <laughs> like, you, you, you might not want to do that. But, so, so obviously, okay, so Snape scries and he's able to, you know, pick out the fact that Danger works in the bookstore and that Lupin works in the grocery, and, you know, grocery store and so forth. And he's able to spy on them. Now, the one thing I pick up on, and I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, the characters respond in more of a Superman type way than regular people way. Example. I tend to have really good prophecies. And I have a prophecy that tells me that Snape is on his way to take my family. My response is, hmm, let's move now. <laughs> Their responsibility is, hmm, let's go to work. And <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing I love too. I love Remus's co-worker. Now Snape, so, oh yes. Snape, the smartest man alive, <laughs> apparates into the parking lot of Remus's supermarket. Sue and Ron should hook up because these people, you know, completely wipe out Death Eaters. Everywhere. Within moments of him 
apparating and disappearing. Sue has figured out that she's he is obviously here for Lupin. <laughs> He's obviously a wizard. This is bad. I should inform him immediately. But I should let him know he's on. Like, she pieces this whole thing together. M- meanwhile, it's, you know, the changing seasons of Hogwarts. Snape is sitting on the bench outside going, I'm missing something. I know I'm missing something. And then, you know, Hedwig flies overhead and it's like, da, 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 da. And there's a blizzard. Da, da, da. And then she lands and, you know, Snape is under four feet of snow still sitting there. So, so meanwhile, Sue, the local grocer, and Ron, the six-year-old, have completely run circles around this, this genius of a man. So, okay, now you're Lupin. You have the ability to telepathically communicate <laughs> with your wife, Danger. And you know, now you've you've gotten the six-month alert. You've gotten the six-month alert. Okay, six months ago we found out that, that Snape could be here at any time. You now know he's stalking you at the local market basket. Now you're like, hmm. So you go home. Now you don't assume that maybe he's in the cab behind you. You go home and you kiss your wife and kids goodbye and send them to the local fair. And I'm just like, stupid, stupid, stupid. So of course he goes inside and of course within moments Hermione has been captured. But here's the good thing. Now this is what I love. Parents everywhere, train your kids. When the death eater comes to take them, now, this obviously assumes that you know you're in the witness protection program. Teach your kids to, without any you know, you know, noticeable hand gestures or you know, the use of sign language. Teach them on command to elbow them in the crotch. It could save your children's life. The entire way the scene worked out, I thought the writing was brilliant, especially on this, the moment where Snape is apparating away and Remus is firing. I love, one of the coolest things is, I love, I just love apparition. I just think it's cool. I love the fact that Anne went through it and showed us this is how you apparate. Step one, calm yourself. And luckily Snape is able to, Snape is just, you know, like a Zen master. Step two, picture your location. And I can picture the apparition manual is your learning this. And he's, he goes through the steps and he apparates to the ministry. Of course, by the time he gets there, he's like Otis from the Andy Griffith show. He doesn't know why he's there. He's, he's all beat up and I think he wet himself. But poor so, Snape. Poor, poor Snape. Now, Remus, fortunately, knows that, you know, Snape could be back at any moment. He may have his memory. He may not. He may be pooping all over the floor because he lost control of his bodily functions. And we have mere moments to get out of here. So, of course, three hours later, they all leave for America. But, like, that, like, I just, I just... I'm sorry, I'm reading a note from from Anne right now. She's like, just because they're good doesn't mean they're smart. No, they're not. We read all seven books, Anne. The good guys are not the smart guys. But I just, like, I just, I love the whole way the thing happens. I just thought it was just really cool. And I love, I love the way it ends off, which is essentially Dumbledore sitting down to explain to Snape exactly what he thinks of him, which... Considering the fact that Snape eventually murders Dumbledore in cold blood... Hey! Dumbledore... No. That's not. That's a mean thing to say right there. That's a mean thing to say. Okay, maybe the cold blood part, but he actually does kill Dumbledore. But it's not murder. Would you prefer assisted suicide? Thank you. Alright. I, I, <laughs> I shall give him that one because we went off on the Slytherins earlier today. So I just thought that was great. Now, what about you guys? What were your favorite moments from these chapters? I like a lot 
what Anne did with Luna in this story. Mm-hmm. Because speaking personally, for me in canon, I think the saddest moment in all seven books for me, actually, is when we see Luna's bedroom in canon. Because uh, it becomes clear that, you know, Harry, a, uh, Ron, Hermione mean so much to her. They're like her only friends. But yet, to them, she's like, she, you know, she doesn't mean one-tenth to Harry that Ron does. You know, they, they never hang out with her. They never do anything with her. She's just, you know... I mean, they like her, but she's not really their friend. But yet, you know, there's this, like, huge imbalance between how they view each other. So I really, really like that, you know, if you're going to have Luna in the story, that she's more of an, an equal with them in this story than she is in canon. That she's more, or at least she's more clearly, the friendship clearly goes two ways. I really like that a lot. It's an interesting way to do it because we never really, I don't think in the canon, um, find out if Ginny and Luna were friends pre-Hogwarts. I don't know. Obviously, they lived nearby, but I don't know if that was ever um, spelled out in the canon. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, what, that's one of the great things about that character. It's, it's one of the great things in the canon is the fact that there, there may be layers to the to the friendships. You know, there's some layers which are, you know, very tight friendships, and there's other, you know, friendships which exist but aren't quite as tight. But it's, it's not what Neville... You know, in Luna, mean to Harry, Ron, Hermione is what Harry, Ron, Hermione mean to Neville and Luna. And one of the like, like Mike just said, one of the saddest lines, um, or one of the most poignant lines for me was in Half Blood Prince, where um, after the cleanup of the battle, you find out that Neville and Luna always kept their DA coins, and they were the first to respond because they always that was their thing. They were you know the nerdy kids at school who got an opportunity to shine, and then they that ended and they missed it and they couldn't go back to just being themselves again so they were always looking for that way to jump back in so i i agree i think that's one of the the really cool things about um about that character um as for the writing of luna i i did enjoy luna um luna is a very i won't say she's a hard character to get right but she's definitely an easy character to get wrong um there's been some incarnations of luna i just haven't enjoy as much because I think they were missing something. This, however, was not because you have a scene where, okay, let's back up. You have Now, let's talk about the brilliant people and the not brilliant people in the story. So Snape <laughs> is definitely not one of the brilliant people. Snape. Definitely not one of the brilliant people. Don't uh, be mean to Snape. Remus, I- I'm sorry, you're up with Snape. You sent the family to the amusement <laughs> park. Ron and Sue the Grocer sharp as tacks. Those people are on it. They, they, they're just brilliant. Dumbledore, I'm sorry. You're <laughs> hiding a family. You were the witness protection program and you're leaving the stuff on your desk with 53 dead headmasters staring down at your desk with portraits <laughs> all over the world. I mean, that, like that, like McGonagall. Oh, look at this. Shall I look? I believe I shall. All of a sudden, we have a major security breach. This is how people get killed. Dumbledore, you're on the short bus. All right. So we're going down the list of characters. He's good about cleaning up afterwards, though. <laughs> and then he marches back in. Dumbledore's office has the stupidest alarm system on it. Ever. This isn't. This isn't like some of the password system. They're not into crime prevention. It's not like having an alarm in your house so when someone breaks into it, you know, it will stop the intruders. The alarm system in Dumbledore's office is more like <laughs> take whatever you want, but we're going to keep an itemized list of everything that was stolen. He comes in. What was taken? Minerva McGonagall came in, and she looked. Oh, 
crap. Gotta go get her. So, unfortunately, in the time that this all happened, McGonagall shot everyone, <laughs> and, you know, the, the whole story ended. There, there's definitely, we're dealing with two different camps here. Now, I have to say, I'm 27. Sometimes when I know a secret, I'm like, oh, I know a secret, I know a secret. Like, like, like I'm going to tell you, I know a secret right now. I'm still not telling anybody, but I know a secret. So, like, Mr. Hand? No. But here's the thing. So, you're dealing with, like, four-year-olds five-year-olds with a big secret. They're in the witness protection freaking program. And they keep the secret brilliantly. These kids should be, should really, I think, live with Sue the Grocer because they are just... They, they, like, these kids are... These are Mensa kids. This is just tremendous, tremendous stuff. Now, okay. Obviously, the, the, the plan about the amusement park was not successful. So we have to move. So we're going to move in with Aletha's aunt for a few, for a little bit. Okay. So, th- so they, so they travel to America, coach apparently, and, 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 and the brilliant adults thought it would be a good idea to put all of the, you know, the, the, the eight year old kids on a plane for eight hours with no source of amusement and not drug them before getting on the plane. And that obviously didn't work. And so they fly to America and now Aletha, serious danger, Remus. As we have established, these people are just pure brilliance. And they have obviously missed the fact that Aletha's aunt is, you know, Amy is, is, is very high up in, 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 in the wizarding world. They have obviously, they have missed all of the clues. They have missed the fact that they are actually staying with a wizard for several weeks. And <laughs> I love the point later where they mention her name to Dumbledore. Oh yeah, she's the one that works with the bank. Yes, Alba, she's the one that works with the bank. Thank you for asking. Now, They've obviously, they've obviously missed that. And just while we're there for a minute, while we're in America, can I just say the, the scene when they're at the beach, and I know Anne was actually a cameo at the beach, but the, the, the scene when they're at the beach, you know, I'm picturing, you know, Amy, you know, decked out in her little chair and the kids are playing, running, screaming, and they're, you know, Remus is dunking them underwater so they can't breathe. And when, when she says, how long are you planning to stay? And they're like, oh, you know, a few weeks. All I can mm. picture was she was asking how long are you staying in America, and they were answering how long we're staying in your guest room. <laughs> or <who> we're staying, <laughs> obviously they were in a hotel, but how long we're staying in your life. All I can picture was Amy like, oh, really? That long? Wow. Obviously, that was just, that wasn't the way it was written, but that was my initial impression. Okay, so you have these brilliant people. They Now, they screwed it up. They screwed it up, unfortunately. They screwed it up. So they have to go back to, you know, so they, so they roundabout, they go, back to, they go back to England, and they move in directly next to the borough. Okay. Now, luckily, Harry, Hermione, Draco, Drake to some, these people are brilliant. These these kids are just fantastic. And I mean that literally. These kids have done what no child has done before. These kids are, are, are just brilliant. And Anne has just typed witch to me, so I'm assuming I didn't call someone a witch, and I called someone a bitch, maybe, if that was the case. I apologize. And you called Amy a wizard. I called yeah. her a wizard. Really? Yes. Really? And no one stopped me? Wow. I'm like into There's no girl, there's no Jen or G here. That's you know what? And I'm sorry, if you had the ability to just speak right now, you could correct me, but we shall go with wizard. I'm not a muggle. I'm a witch. So, all right. <laughs> so, Mensa kids are back, you know, okay. Now, they meet Luna for, tw- like, one-tenth of a second. And Luna's already like, I think you're Harry Potter. <laughs> and I'm just like, and you can tell Harry's like, crap, I wish they called me Matthew. Um, no, I'm not. 
now he's sweating bullets. <laughs> he's got an inner <laughs> ear infection, and he's like, I'm not Harry Potter! And Luna's like, oh, okay. And Ginny's like, you suck. Now, here's the, here's the tier. At the very bottom, Snape. Okay? Snape is the stupidest character in the, in the, in the storyline. Directly above no, Snape. Yes, yes. Snape, way at the bottom. Directly above Snape, Dumbledore. Directly next to Dumbledore, uh, Remus. And <laughs> next to Remus, Aletha. Going up, we have the Rugrats. The, Why is Aletha stupid? Because Aletha failed to note the fact that her aunt was very big in the wizarding world. Because she is a wizard herself. And directly <laughs> above them, directly above the Rugrats, we have... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Now, now the, the most brilliant character so far as of Chapter 37, Luna Lovegood. <laughs> She's the most brilliant character in this book. I just love that. She's like, you're Harry Potter. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. We have to move. So I just I just thought that was just so... It... Minerva's pretty far up there. She walks directly into Dumbledore's office, and there's like a manila envelope that says, do not open this if you don't want to know where Harry Potter is. So but, um, I, just, I just thought that... Now, Minerva's a great... Let's talk about Minerva. You're, you're Minerva McGonagall. And you find out where Harry Potter is. And your first reaction is, Dumbledore is nuts. To which I say, well done, you. So she's like, I need to investigate this. So she goes to her office and she puts up the little clock on her door that says, be back in 15. And she turns into a cat and and goes and seeks... uh, No, I can't remember right now how she found them. There was some... some, She went to Aletha's house, maybe. I can't remember. So she goes and she finds them. No, no, I'm sorry. McGonagall is down the ladder. Here's why. Here's why, okay? Now, let us remember the hierarchy. Snape in the basement. Above Snape, <laughs> Dumbledore, Aletha, and uh, Remus. Above them, the Rugrats. Luna at the top of the pyramid, right? Okay. Now, McGonagall has, you know, she, her clock is up. She's got 14 minutes left. She has gone off to investigate. She arrives at the house and is instantly identified by Pat. Actually, no. Padfoot, because of the thing where anime guy can recognize anime guy. That works for me. Now, if it was Remus that recognized her, that would be bad. Because Remus, as we know, is on level two. So if level, if she, that would put McGonagall down with Snape. But fortunately, fortunately, you know, McGonagall, you know, is chased into a tree and is almost, that would be tragic if Sirius, unfortunately, ate Minerva McGonagall, but apparently it worked out just fine. And, you know, I really enjoy the writing of the interactions where they're walking her back to the house and Remus is like, after you, professor. And, and you, the cat looks back up as if to say, F you, you go for, I'm not walking in there first. And <laughs> I, I just thought it was, I, 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 I love, you cannot write McGonagall wrong for me. I love the character of McGonagall, but I just thought that was great that her first reaction is charge, <laughs> which is an actual line from Deathly Hallows. I just thought, you know, it is, it, it's the scene when, you know, they're, the, the school's under attack and she's got all the desks and knights behind her and she's, they're charging at the bad guys. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love McGonagall, but I just thought that was a, that was a really fun scene <laughs> when she charges to, save Harry Potter and is captured within three minutes by everyone who recognizes her. That was unfortunate. Um, Where do you rank danger? Well, here, I was actually thinking about this today. The story is called Living with Danger, which implies danger is big. Big character. Danger doesn't leave much of an impression on me, because when I... She doesn't... Which is probably good. I mean, if she overshadowed all the other characters, she'd be the ultimate Mary Sue. She, She's one of the group 
she isn't like she's about as meaningful to the story as Aletha is so far. You know, she's up like, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're going to create, and I'm interested to talk to Anne about this next week. If you're going to create a character like danger, who's like the focal point of the story. And obviously you need her to have Hermione and she obviously orchestrated the whole thing. It's interesting because looking at the character of, um, of danger, it's an on, you know what it is? It's you're, you're creating a very particular character. You're going to great lengths to create a very particular character because it's not like you're starting your own story. You're taking someone else's story and you're purposefully changing it. You're doing a retcon and you're inserting this character in the story, Hermione's older sister. But then it's an ensemble piece. So she's one of eight. So it's, and granted she has super duper powers, but she's the snarkiest character though. She's the lady chi of the story. Danger in terms of smart. I would put her up with the kids. Like, she's smart enough. No, I put Sirius on the bottom, by the way. Why do you put Sirius on the bottom? He's the one that found the gun. Yes. Well, am I misremembering? Or isn't he the one that, before Snape finds out, he's sending taunting pranks to Snape? That I mean, isn't that, just, isn't that just kind of stupid? You're sending... No, but they're all, they're all walking into the school. Now, here's a question. And, and this is a legitimate, legitimate point. Okay. Now... You can have fun with the story. Yes, you have fun with the story. Okay. Snape grabs Hermione, scares the crap out of her. You know what it is? Has everyone here seen the uh, commercial with William Shatner, the Priceline commercial, where the three women are by the pool and they're trying to book a vacation? So he needs to distract them to give them the Priceline price, the lower price. So he walks up with a, with, with, with like a triple baby carriage. And the, the women come over, and they're looking at the babies, and they're like, and, and they're like "Oh, they're so adorable! What are their names?" And he's like, "Oh, that's uh, Jimmy and, and Bobby and um, uh, Little Billy." And they're looking at the babies as he releases the button on the underside of the carriage, and a ferret jumps out of the baby carriage and runs over to the computer, and is like typing on the computer and is finding the price line price, and they're communicating in ferret speak, William Shatner and the ferret, while the women are looking at the babies. And he's like. And he's like clicking to the ferret. It reminded me of that. It's like, you know, Remus is clicking back and forth to Hermione in, in you know, den speak to, to say, you know, hit him in the crotch whenever it is convenient for you. So you have Hermione, who is very frightened, and Remus is able to defeat Snape in, in, in you know, we'll call it combat. They're back at Hogwarts a few weeks later. Now, obviously, Dumbledore had to put the ever-living fear of God into Snape after that. Because they're literally, they're walking by Snape, and Hermione is laughing at him. Like, uh, they're so mean to Snape in this. I felt really bad. He tried to kidnap Hermione and turn her into the ministry. He was doing the lawful thing, not to mention... Before he does that, Sirius is taunting him. We're not talking about back when they were, like, you know, in school still. Let me ask Sirius you Sirius is still taunting him from exile. Let me ask you this. Minerva McGonagall, the Gryffindor, what was her motivation for going to the den? What was her motivation for going? Curiosity. Beyond curiosity. Like, if she, if, if she sensed there was something bad going on, what was her motivation? Concern. Concern. Okay. What was Snape's motivation for going? Righteousness. Everybody's going to think I'm a hero for capturing the bad guys. The Hufflepuff gets it. He was doing it because he thought it would look really, really good if he went there and he, he wanted to humiliate his, his old bullies. Poetic justice. Poetic justice, absolutely. They earned it, though. I'm sorry. It's like serious, right? I, I, I can forgive someone for what you do as a student, but what really got me in this story is that before, like, you know, the kids are really mean to him. That wasn't serious, actually. It was, was it? Uh, Remus and Danger sent that. 
Even worse. You know, they're, they're taunting Snape before he does anything. And it's bad enough they do an act. Like, I felt, like, whatever chapter that is when he visits them and the kids all laugh at him as he exits, I felt really bad for Snape. Define feel really, like, wh- like... Wh- You're not being very Hufflepuffish tonight, Ryan. I have to say you don't feel bad for the Petunia, you don't feel bad for Snape, you're just laughing at everyone's misery. Well... That is that is true. I am doing that. You know, I, I, it's possible I had excess caffeine this evening. But let's be serious here. I mean, okay, what did they do to Snape? They sent him. I can't remember. It a plaque. Like, they sent him a plaque. So sometimes I wake up grumpy. Other times I let him sleep. So they sent him a plaque to keep on his desk that wouldn't go away, and he had to call Dumbledore to get rid of it, which is embarrassing. They're not like sending poison in his food. But on top of his whole history he had with them as students, they're still bullying him for no reason, basically. They're being bullies, what they're doing. Well, he is a bit of a jackass. I mean, I'm with you. Yes, yes. Should they be upstanding citizens? Yes. Should they not do it? Yes. One thing, just to let Anne know, is we think Mike misses the point sometimes. Sometimes I miss, like, whole paragraphs, and, like, you explained it very well, and I miss it. Now, they almost killed Snape back in school, so now they're back. It seemed from my reading it that the fact that they sent the plaque, that was the object for which Snape said, No more, I need revenge. I will kidnap their youngest, and I will turn them in, and I will... Rescue their youngest, not kidnap. Uh, he didn't care. But that was the thing. It was that, like, I, it seemed like the plaque sent him over the top, which seemed peculiar to me. I'm like, um, it's a plaque. Like, if this wasn't Harry Potter, like, and if you didn't have this emotional investment from reading this story, but you read in the newspaper that there were these, you know, these kids that were supposedly, you know, kidnapped by these criminals, you know, criminals on the run and orphans and people who were stolen from their parents, uh-huh. you know, wouldn't you at least say, okay, this guy did the right thing if he went and confronted them over it? If I knew why he did it? No. Like, 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 like if you knew the background, but you didn't, like, you knew all the facts of this story, but you had no emotional investment with Harry, Remus, Sirius, etc., like you just knew the facts of the story from well, if I, from, from Snape's perspective, say. Well, or from like the average wizarding citizen's perspective. Well, from the average perspective, not knowing Snape, I would say, oh, that guy from that, that upstanding teacher from the school saved those poor children from that mass murderer. If I knew Snape, I would go, Snape is obviously a jackass. He didn't do this out of the goodness of his heart. I mean, you can separate. I mean, there's people in this world who I think are jackasses. And whatever they, Why is Snape a jackass, though? Because they probably that's what I don't get. Because they pro- they either had him in school or they knew him. I mean, he's he's obnoxious to his students. Like even at one point when Dumbledore is speaking to the to the principal of the school in New Orleans, you know, she comments about the fact that you know the stu- her students in the foreign exchange program never learn more than from the Hogwarts potions laboratory. There was a personality conflict with the professor, and even Dumbledore says, "Yeah, we get that a lot." I mean, like he's not a nice man. He's never been a nice man. Not nice, but he's good. We'll move on from that one for tonight. But I, I, I have, I have. Some, <laughs> I'm not opening that can of worms. We're not. Yeah, Snape, good or evil? Um, yeah. We're, we're hold on to that question for a minute, and we'll. Um, <laughs> but I guess my point was that if let's say you knew the, all the story, like you knew the truth, mm-hmm. and you knew and you knew who Snape was, but you didn't have the emotional connection to Harry and Remus, you might not think Snape should have done that, but you would have gone. Oh, I understand what he did. He did the right thing from a wizarding citizen's perspective. You know, in his place, I would have done the same thing. I think that's what you would have said, or well, most people would. No, say, I mean, you're you're asking. Just I don't want to get too 
deeply caught up in this, but what you're asking is almost like, you know, what do people think of Robin Hood? I mean, you know, the people who steal from the rich and and give to the poor, you're going to have that section of the population who says they're breaking the law, they should be punished, and you're going to have the section of the population who says, good for them, screw the machine! Well, no, what I I guess I'm getting at, not so, I mean, you're right, but I guess what I'm getting at is I think that when it comes to instances like what Snake did, we're clouded by our personal like of the den because we've been reading about them. Mm-hmm. We personally like them, so we're on their side, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, we, and, that, and because well, of that, we don't... I, but I'm also the first to say when they're behaving like morons. I mean, I'm, I'm on their side, but they, they definitely made some, tactic, <laughs> some tactical blunders. I mean, especially after they were kidnapped and brought to the Malfoy Manor once. <laughs> then they came back, and they're like, time for macaroni. I mean, like, there's points where, you know, I think they should be taking more precautions. I mean, but that's not the story. This Correct. Isn't, yeah, right. yeah, it's like, you know, I would think that, you know, Clark Kent would want to change his disguise at some point, too, but apparently that didn't flow for him too well either. I mean, that's just the... It has a layer of fantasy to it. Of course, yeah. Like the original books, really, there's there's some unrealistic things to them and this. um, The Dursleys probably wouldn't um, act quite the way they act in canon, uh, or if they did, other things would happen, or whatever. Um, sometimes in canon they things. don't act. The, sometimes in canon they don't act the way they act. I mean, all the wizards in canon are kind of stupid. Like all the non-main characters and their disguises, like their muggle disguises. I mean, you know, the guy mm-hmm. with the spurt or whatever it was, yeah. wearing the bright orange things with the yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, whatever. Can I just tell you? The, as we're recording this, this is the weekend that um, that Tim Russert passed away, and and I'm huge Tim Russert fan. Like I love the man. He like man. Like I'm so sorry to, to hear that he he's gone. Just a tremendous human being. The thing that cracked me up is I was watching the news this morning, and Mike Barnacle, who's um, a local Boston boy, he um, hosted a talk radio show in Boston that uh, got canceled about a year back. He was best friends with Tim Russert. Now this guy's just lost his best friend. He's he's very upset. He's he's been doing the news shows all weekend long, and he's on TV this morning. And and, and um, th- I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was um it was um Joe Scarborough on MSNBC asked him you know to talk about. Oh no, I'm sorry, it was someone else on on the Morning Joe show asked him talk about Tim Russert, the man. And his response was, well, you know. Tim and I weren't exactly slaves to fashion. We both pretty much bought everything we own at Lumber Liquidators. And all I can picture is that's the type of person in the Harry Potter universe that walks around and gets noticed. It's like Molly Weasley from the, uh, I believe it was the Prisoner of Azkaban movie where she's wearing like the lime green with the, like it's just, it's, it's bad color coordination all around. But yeah, but, but yeah, but, and Anne's even um, chiming in here too. I mean, that's the fun thing. If you're going to go fairy tale, that's a very good thing because you bring the story to a level where you can overlook certain things because you're here to have a fun time. You're here to, like, if you try and write a very serious story or a spy story or, you know, a story that deals with, you know, you know, hardcore, you know, depression or deals with, you know, child, all these very, very serious issues. At some mm-hmm. point, it's, it's, you're either going to not do well at it or it's going to become too serious or y- 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 a lot of stuff with it. The fact that I can sit here and laugh about Living With Danger but still enjoy reading it and enjoy talking about it and wanting to see where it goes and laughing about it, that's fine. And I think you can notice that in the last few... I mean, one of the reasons we do this podcast is to, is to discover more about fan fiction. I love the fact that I can sit here <laughs> and like completely you know, bitch about the character of Remus, but I'm not 
critiquing Anne's writing of Remus. He's actually a real person to me. He's he's a stupid person. I know people every day who <laughs> make stupid. De- I make stupid decisions every day, and, and and I just think that's a really um that's a really interesting dynamic with it. Now let's um shift gears a little bit. Can we just talk about the twins? Uh, if you're going to write fan fiction, show us some things that we can't get in the original canon. Now, I love the fact that in this universe, in, in the Living with Danger universe, you know, Lucius Malfoy, prison, Severus Snape, defeated, and Fred and George Weasley. Now, I love the rise of Fred and George. Snape, I, be- I can't remember if it was the year he was teaching um, Percy for the first time or if there were no Weas- new Weasleys in his class. But, you know, Snape almost has one of those... <sighs> I I am past the Weasleys. I have I have I have conquered you know I have conquered the Weasleys you know so forth. And and Anne has a line in there about little did he know there were two <laughs> twins <laughs> plotting their and they and and you can tell they're in like their meeting room and they're like and they're just training for the day they will end up in his potions lab and they they're the ultimate nemesis of Snape they're they're in wait for years they're like little junior al-Qaeda terrorists are just waiting and, <laughs> and I love you know that it's the it's the rise of that and obviously we know at this point you know Snape's office is like pink and it's you know you can't get rid of it and he's going to Dumbledore they're begging on me and you know McGonagall is <laughs> McGonagall's telling him to shut up and stop calling me Minerva and it's you know Snape is just like this dopey little character yes. and okay so so the twins now are rising and, and there's so many great points with the twins. I love the point where, because of some tactical, you know, retreats, maybe they can fool people by giving them food to test. You know, here, have a snack. And then they look at each other. An idea was born. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like the birth of the Cylons. It's, it's just like you're there in the beginning. But, um, I love the point where, okay. So Snape defeated the twins, each with one foot on his chest. They are rising. And all of a sudden, the Rugrats arrive, and the twins are screaming, "Retreat! Retreat! We've been outflanked! Retreat!" <laughs> and and they totally kick the crap out of the twins, which is, I I just think is cool. It's like it's the what if. It's what if these. And I love like it, it's great too. It's like you can picture this: the twins are running with 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 their snowballs and Ron. Braveheart is, moment. Yes, it's 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 the you know, it's like the leave me behind. I'm finished. And it's you know they're running and they're advancing. And Mel, Gibson, and Mel Gibson has unfortunately been shot, and he's falling, and the, and the American flag is running overhead. And you know, they're, and they're going at each other. And Ron is like, "I have friends who like me. Run away! Run away! Run away!" And it's it, the thing I love about it is it's written like the final battle. It really is written like the final battle. They're like, you go that way, I'll go this way. And Ron's thinking, "I hope to God they listen to me, and I hope." She got and it's like you're picturing Hermione like climbing the tree, but it's like the scene where she's like a cat and she's upside down, like you know, it's like the old Batman movies, just trying to climb her way up the tree. And you know, Ron is jumping and he got a footprint on the tree trunk, but that will have to wait. And they're like ricocheting up the tree, but Hermione's already up there. And Harry and Draco are in the ground and they're already <laughs> assembling. It's like the Star Trek episode with the Gorn. They've developed a cannon out of you know the minerals and rock deposits they found. In now, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Lord of the Rings, the final. Ba- yeah, that's what I kept thinking when they're doing the the, the den cry or the pack, whatever they yeah. call it, the pack cry. I'm thinking of like you know. Like 
like like the the horns blowing and like the riders of Rowan about to charge down on the. Uh, and I love Anne's um her um her jump back to the POA movie, the Prisoner of Azkaban movie, where Hermione's making the wolf noises, and Harry's like, "Won't he hear us too? Crap, run!" And I love the point where they get back to the burrow and Molly nearly obliviates everybody. I'm like, um, <laughs> oh no, yeah, mm-hmm. like isn't it? Couldn't you imagine that? Like that would be the focus of the next twenty chapters of the fic. You know, Harry being nursed back to health, forgetting who everyone <laughs> is because Molly Weasley shot them. I don't know. I just thought the the whole thing was great. And um, one point I just did want to touch on. We get into the later chapters where the Weasleys have bonded, you know, the Blacks, all 23 of them, and, you know, including Harry, the small black child. And can I just tell you the one plot point I thought that Anne was going to use and she didn't was because Ron is sharp as a tack in this one, Ron is just a valiant military commander. Ron deserves his own regiment. I I was wondering when he was going to instantly recognize Nini and, and Harry from the playground, but wonder why Harry was black now. And that was going to be the thing that gave it all away. See, he has a graphic memory. But um, I did appreciate the fact... He's not quite that good. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, three years later, I remember those friends I had at the playground. I wish I knew where they... Wouldn't that be great? Like, it's the ultimate stalking experience where you meet someone at the mall, <laughs> and then five years later, they knock on your door. Hi, you might not remember me. And they have, like, the shrine of you in their car. <laughs> like, it's just like, all right. But, three um, years ago, you were the park at uh, St. Tomorrow's. Exactly. And you're like, oh, my... Um, I just have to make a quick phone call, like the state police show up five minutes later. But, you know, I, I love the moment where it gets... Now, let's talk about this. It's a fairy tale, but it, there's also it's moments... a fairy tale? Yeah, the whole thing's a fairy tale. But there's moments where Sirius... Um, help me out here. Sirius makes a comment in front of the Weasleys and in front of the Lovegoods. And I forget if he references himself as Pad... No, I'm sorry. He talks about um, his flying motorcycle. And he almost oh, yeah, gets away. Yeah. And there's this great moment where... where where Remus calls him on it, and he's like, "I want this to be over. You know, we've been hiding for years. You know, the you know Megan has lived her whole life in hiding. The kids don't remember what it was like before they were in hiding. You know, they only remember it because we tell them about it all the time. And I want this to be over. So yeah, you know, on some level, I'm giving us away. <laughs> and <laughs> you could actually buy into it if that was his motive, because there's been so many opportunities where they've almost given themselves away. <laughs> but I just I think that. I just think that's great. And something else just jumped into my mind. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. It's chimed in. It's chapter 34. Um, I listen to them on my iPod. I don't do the chapters. Anyway, um, <laughs> the moment I love is Dolores Umbridge in her office at the end. She realizes where they are because the Marauder's Den as a flu address was taken several years ago in the now-abandoned house. You are the, the Mensa people, okay? You're, in the beginning of the story, you have two options. You can find the red-headed family, and Wormtail will be there, and you can expose him, and you can live productive, happy lives. Or you can say, hmm, redheads, you know, they could be anywhere, and you break into Azkaban, and you go into the witness protection program, <laughs> and, you know, you're across, <laughs> you do all this stuff. Okay, you, you've made that decision, you're living with it. Okay. Everything's great, aside from the fact that Snape is at your local grocery store. So then you go quickly to the amusement park, but then you decide, mm, bad idea. So mm-hmm. Nini climbs a tree, you give Severus Snape a lobotomy, and three hours later you move to America with a witch. Oops, didn't know that, move back home. So now you're living next to the burrow with the Weasleys, the redheads, by the way, <laughs> but whatever. Now, you know, yeah, speaking of that, aren't they famous for being redheads? Like, you know, like, uh, oh, the Weasleys, too many yeah, children. I think that's us. I think that's, well, yeah, but I, 
you have to wonder how big the wizarding population is. I mean, like, I don't think everyone's heard Draco of Draco the original knows that, but they're Malfoys and they know yeah. every single major pureblood family. So the pack as they are probably wouldn't care. Sirius would know if he thought about it, but he actively forgets all the pureblood stuff that he can. Can I just point so. out, I love the fact that Sirius writes romance novels. Mm, Valentina Jett. That is probably the coolest thing I've ever read in fan fiction, ever. <laughs> I'm just going to say it there. I am, you know, Harry is an Auror. Harry is a Quidditch player. Ron is an Auror. <laughs> Ron is a chef. Ron is the Quidditch instructor. <laughs> Hermione is a tribal warrior. Hermione owns Flourish and Bots. Dumbledore dies. Dumbledore lives. Harry and Ginny have 37 babies and name them James and Lily and 36 other random names. I mean, there, there's, there's standards in fan fiction. At some point, you need to try something new. Making Sirius Black a romance novelist is a very good first step. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. I thought that was just fantastic. <clears throat> Valentinus? I like the moment where um, the they have the reviews, and one of them is this author knows the truth of being a woman, and they all make fun <laughs> of him about that for the next six months. My favorite part, when they were sitting there realizing that Minerva McGonagall is ending in fan mail. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. I think, what were we just talking about? How we get, we were just, someone was saying. <laughs> we were talking about Umbridge realizing that the... At the end of the, 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 yes, the, now, the flu. Now, okay, now you've you, your code name. Your you, now you've gone underground. And you decide <laughs> we need to blend in. No one can spot us. We are going to be seamless. <laughs> We're the White Family. Did not work out well at all. Okay, we are now the Black Family. <laughs> <laughs> But you registered the flu Marauder's Den? <laughs> like, and there's a paper trail? God. Mm. Like, while people are looking for the wanted killer, Sirius Black, and there's a paper trail about the Marauder's Den. Well, that obviously has nothing yeah. to do with them. They're not ministry employees. They don't think of paper. <laughs> well, leave it. But, and that is the one thing I did love. I did love that she had the line in, we're going to hide in plain sight. They will never think to look for us. That was or the, she's setting them up. But that she is I don't Mike, I don't think Alita is a death either. I One really, of them has to be though, don't they? Why? Why? Well, because don't you need like like who's the super villain then? Like don't you need to be they're gonna catch Wormtail before like you know I, I haven't finished the story, but I would bet money that they catch Wormtail in this story. And then you need someone to kind of be the betrayer and the evil bad guy. Yeah, there there are options though. There there isn't really a, a major bad guy for this whole arc. There's several of them at various times. You like need, Snape I mean, was one for a while. Yeah, if you have the ha bad guy. I mean, well, not ha but you wouldn't like no one else would see her coming. It'd be a big surprise. Well, yeah, I mean, Umbridge, Umbridge is certainly a good villain. Um, I think having the characters themselves be their own villains, their, their, their failings, their, you know, frailties, their vulnerabilities, tripping them up, I think is a good thing. I mean, you know, we've been joking a lot tonight, but let's, I mean, to be serious, you know, it's a story about a bunch of people who are trying to provide for their children. And they're doing it in a way that they have to do it because the society you know, itself, the government itself, the people themselves would turn against them in a heartbeat, and many of them try. So, 
they need to have den names. They need to, you know, not have ordinary friends. They can't go to school. There's there's limitations, and and that is a real. I mean, that's a true thing. With the- Can I ask a question, actually. Yeah. Not to, not to interrupt you. Okay. This occurred to me as you were talking. I, I've read a bunch. I've read a bunch of serious fics over the time, and even mm-hmm. in canon, I I always wonder: is there a reason that I don't know that J.K. said or someone has said why? Okay, we know Sirius has never had any trial. Why don't they like once Dumbledore knows he's innocent? Why don't they get some of their people to kind of demand he have a trial and then just give him truth serum? Um, I forget if it works. Or would that just be too said on her website that this was afterwards, because everyone was asking that, that um, Verita Serum can be defeated if you're an Auckland's, for example, or people could have taken the antidote, or if you just have a very strong mind, you might manage to not answer all the questions truthfully, so not they don't this rely fic, on though. Not in this fic, though, because in this fic, Narcissa Malfoy and I believe Lucius Malfoy both are under Veritaserum, and that is their undoing. So, I mean, I took it to be, you know, it's not that easy. It's, I mean, this is my view of the world. I, mean, I know from the story why she doesn't want to do that, but I just wondered if there was like, an actual reason. Uh, well, look at it this way. 99% of the time, everyone in the world is an idiot. And like you said before, you know, if, if, if you, if, if all you knew was without knowing the characters, you know, if you read in the paper that there's a convicted killer who's kidnapped the boy who just saved the world and, you know, he was apprehended by, you know, a public school teacher, you will think, my God, give that man the Nobel Peace Prize. That Snape is wonderful. You know, but you don't think to yourself, hmm, is there something else going on here? So people can be inherently stupid. So I don't know if, if I were Dumbledore, I would say, okay, you know, they're, they're, well, they're relatively safe. They, they have jobs. They're happy. I don't know what would happen. I'm powerful, but, you know, good God, I could be killed in the astronomy tower any day now. So, you know, in, in, you just kind of leave it at that. I mean, that's a plausible, you know, reason to just, you know, leave. The, I mean, I'm sure Dumbledore thought, let's leave things alone. What's the worst that could happen? Well, I guess, I guess if I'm getting it's always it, a bad thing to think, but yeah. I don't get much of an urge from Sirius to even clear his name. Like, it doesn't seem like it's that important to him in the story. Well, well he's I, getting itchy about it. Like, the yeah. part that Ryan just quoted, he's um, he doesn't like all the hiding, but at this point... He's just barely recovered from being an Azkaban for six years, and um, or six months, I guess, but still. Um, and I hate to say and, it, but they're uh, not really hiding that much. I mean, they're with Hogwarts <laughs> once a week. They see Hagrid with some regularity. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. they go to the amusement park. They play in the field. I mean, it's... They're relying on the fact that wizards are generally blind to a lot of things. Which, luckily, they are. <laughs> I mean, Snape is one of their smartest people, and you've seen how long it took him to figure that out. We're so, sending uh, our best man after. I love Snape. I well, I know. I just I, echoed. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm echoing. Oh, this is fun. I'm echoing too. Hmm. Echo. echo. I'm not doing anything odd or anything, so. Echo, echo, echo. No, it's okay. No, it's, okay. it's actually funny. Okay. On the echo, I sound like Scott. I'm echoing <laughs> with an accent. <laughs> British accent. British. Or Canadian, okay. hmm. Yeah, I still haven't done the British accent. <laughs> Isn't it, wait, are you, I thought your accent was supposed to be a British accent. Well, it's his actual... This is how he speaks. He's not doing the accent. Well, no, but... Did, uh, am, I, am I misremembering? But didn't you say you... Didn't you say you trained your voice? That you, like, your accent used to be, be different, but you trained yourself to speak in a British accent, so now 
when I'm doing the um, audio things, I do British accent. So some of the thing, some of that has probably crept into my regular voice, but it's this isn't anywhere close to my British. Do a line of British, so we. Okay, um, let's see. Dangerous birthday cake that December had thirty candles on it. Before blowing them out, she very pointedly closed her connection with Remus. What was that for? He asked as soon as she reopened it, having blown out all thirty with one breath. They say if you tell what you wish for, it won't come true. As long as you're not wishing for something like me to wake up tomorrow covered in purple polka dots. That's not a bad idea, but no. Remus groaned mentally. Damn it, I forgot the first rule of living with other pranksters. Never, ever, ever say anything that could be construed as a suggestion. Yes. Too bad for you, then. Can I say, I'm just amused right now because we've done the Masterfic before where Mike has tried to speak in a British (laughs) accent. It didn't bode well. I have to break away from the scene for a moment to say that I know now that I will never, ever have sex. Someday, in the near future, once I wear Lily down for a second time and find myself locked with her in a passionate embrace, her lips sweet and her hair against my hands, I will remember suddenly and without warning the lone image of my mother peering down at me from behind thick-rimmed spectacles, her gray hair wild from humidity and chores, saying, Sexual intercourse, triumphantly. Um, okay, several things. Um, the first is, uh, Mike. <laughs> no, they gave, they kept giving me smaller and smaller parts until they just kind of gave up on me. <laughs> they go, first, first um, you're going to be James Potter, Michael. Huh, no, why don't, why don't you try being uh, James's father? Huh, no, why don't you try being the narrator? Now, Mike, <laughs> I have a question for you. Have you? I, I'm, I'm going to throw a prediction out there for you. Have you considered the fact that this could all be an elaborate ruse on Anne's behalf and that danger could be a figment of Remus's imagination? <laughs> what do you think? Um, well... Not really. <laughs> Have you ever seen anyone else other than you know Remus acknowledge danger in the story? That's a good point, actually. Have I? I haven't seen any of the... Do we ever see... When do we see Sirius talk to her? Direct? Well, no, we do see that. You How do you know Sirius is talking to Aletha on the other end of the room? The, I would be so impressed. This would become my favorite fic if it had, like, a um, fight club. Not the, not the spoil fight club. Have you all seen fight club? I haven't. Oh, if this had a Fight Club ending where it turns out that it's like, you know, that really uh, Remus had a split personality thing going, where like he was he was Danger and himself, and every time he thought like Sirius was talking to Danger, he was really talking to Remus, that would be freaking awesome. Oh, that would be good. What do you think? Possibility? There's a whole bunch of times that they're kissing that I think that would kind of, you know, mess with. All in his head. All in his head. But, actually, but you know what I have thought about a lot? With what if is not there? What if is not there? And Aletha, the Death Eater. Yeah, Aletha the Death Eater may not be there, and she is the representation in Sirius's mind of of love lost and the life lost. And that could explain why she's on the cannon. Wait, oh my god, she's being possessed by Voldemort. <laughs> well, my plan doesn't really work, because then you can't really explain Megan. Yeah, there is that. Alright, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was just, while you guys were doing your accent thing, Anne and I were talking, and I better 10 bucks I could convince Mike that Remus and Danger were the same person. Okay, I apologize. Um, and you paying out my 10 bucks? I will mail you the check. All right. I wasn't but you know what I have spent a lot of time thinking about, though? What's that? I, I, was, I was talking to Anne about this, so I kind, of, I kind of now have a sense of the answer. But I guess 
most what I think makes this alternate universe different because it doesn't seem to have a moment where it branches off. Because I know I was spending a lot of time as I was reading this trying to figure out, okay, it's an alternate universe because of I don't know danger comes into it. So then that means you know how like I was doing like like Hermione like well what killed Hermione's parents uh, that had to do with you know like like and it seems to me and then correct me if I'm wrong that this is not an alternate universe that takes off for one point. Like, say, a year like another takes off because, I don't know, a letter gets sent and Snape reads the letter. Or so many of the ones I've read, it's, it's, it's a particular event. Harry gets soared into Slytherin House. And that's the, you know, Harry shakes Draco's hand and everything branches off from there. Whereas this is more of like a parallel world than a single point alternate universe. Well, um, Anne here is implying that there's a long story, and we'll get into it in the interview. I'm going to throw out my idea on that right now. Mm-hmm. I think it can all be... Now, this is an explicit podcast. <laughs> um, I think the universe has diverged when um, Mr. and Mrs. Granger had um, a private evening at home. And um, <laughs> Something's wrong. And their condom broke. Houston, we have a problem. And that is where I believe the world's diverged. <laughs> and I want you to know, if the women were here, I could not get away with that. Brian, be supportive. But as this is testosterone Monday, that is my prediction as to what happened. My prediction is that it's not a single point alternate universe, that it's a parallel reality alternate universe. And like That's- that Star Trek episode, they will begin to phase in and out of the parallel reality into the regular... Uh, no, not quite that. Harry will trade places with his other self, and everyone will wonder why he's suddenly black. I mean, that could possibly be. <laughs> That's another fake. Someone wrote that one. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah, where someone, where Harry from this universe trade, traded with uh, Canon Harry, or was that Draco? May have been both. I don't know. <laughs> All right, no. Anne, Anne. I know you can hear me right now. You've started a cult. I just want you to know this. They're, everyone seems very nice, but to the point where you have fan fiction and fan fiction and fan fiction, you need to start some type of organization in the checking account. Okay, I'll bring up, an, I guess because we're jumping around, can I bring up a theme? To get sure, your, go for it. If you want, Ryan. Go for it. I think one of the central themes, too, of this story as you read it is um, sort of a nature versus nurture. I think that's basically if and as far as there's an argument being put forward in this story, that's kind of her argument that characters like Draco aren't naturally evil. That it's a nurture thing. That, it, that it's an environmental thing. And if you raise them in a different environment, you get a radically different Harry. You get a radically different Draco. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see that um, with. I mean, look at she does some interesting things with that. You have, you know, Draco. They obviously got to him in time, and he's turned out remarkably different than he did in the canon. In time um, implies he's better this time around. Look, look at look at Dudley. Does Dudley turn out any better? Now you see he is cared for by someone who's very strict, but he still seems like a jackass. So he lost his parents. I don't consider that better. Well, no. I mean, he's raised by someone who's very firm with him and doesn't indulge him, and in you know, not in a cruel way, but someone who treats him. I think you know, someone who seems to be a much better parent than Tunia and or Dursley. Uh, and or um, I agree. I agree with you. It's, I, I agree. She's a much better parent. I mean, physically, he's much healthier. In some senses, emotionally, he's probably better balanced. But 
I mean, he had parents who loved him, and I never think like that's like saying like, "Well, I, I took you away from your parents who loved you, but I gave you better parents, so it's okay." No, wh- you know? but no, but when you look at it, if you're raised by okay, if you're raised by Death Eaters and you're taken away from the Death Eaters at age two, and you're raised by essentially the side of the light, you're raised by the Camdens from Seventh Heaven. Well, bad example. You, bad example. You're going to come out with four kids by the time you're 16. You're going to have robbed the local liquor store. Backing up. Um, you're raised by the pack. You're going to be a well-rounded person who does the dishes on your night. I mean, you're going to be. You're going to have learned responsibility. Now, okay. Say you're you're Dudley. Aside from you know turning out to be obese and you know with with insufficient social skills to you know work in the customer service field, you're gonna you know you're gonna survive. You're not going to be you know under love, but you're going to be, you know, not raised properly and you're going to be you know, extremely selfish and you're going to have a lot of issues. If you're taken away from that environment at the same age that Draco was taken away from his environment and you're raised by someone from the limited information we get who appears to be treating you with respect and, treat, and, and you know, trying to instill those right lessons in you as you grow up, I mean, you would think that you know, Dudley would turn out better, and he's still right back at the at the snake pit, <laughs> you know, beating on Harry and, you know, getting thrown in with the snake. So there, there wasn't a demonstrable change to Dudley, you know, as far as we were able to see. But the one thing which I did um, find interesting there is, you know, there's that comparison between uh, Dudley and between uh, Draco. Look at, the one thing I just thought was great was Harry and Draco, you have um, the, the Death Eater family in Ollery St. Catchpole, or near Ollery St. Catchpole in Devon, who the father, you know, every night tells a horror story about Draco to his son to try and That's my favorite part scare of the, the ever-living death. crap of, you know, you know, the time that Draco, you know, was eating alive, the time that Draco... Like, every, like my thing is, how stupid is this kid? You know, Draco dies a different way every night, but whatever. Um, but... When, when you look at the story he tells, he tells the story of Harry Potter. He tells of, you know, this poor kid who was, you know, raised by a family who didn't love him and was, you know, was browbeaten every night and forced to do all the work and raised as a muggle and didn't know he was a wizard and, you know, this, that, the other thing. I mean, it's the story of Harry Potter, and that's supposed to be a story to frighten Death Eater children or, you know, Death Eater and training children. So I, I just thought that was a very interesting dynamic to look at the, the Harry Potter canon and to look at, you know, Draco from Living with Danger, and just to see how, you know, it's a complete, you know, it's a, it's, an, it's a very clean break. It's, it's two different stories, but how, like we were saying before, perception. How do people know that Draco is being treated well? You know, could people be convinced that Draco is being treated very poorly? Sure, because he's, you know, supposedly held by, a de- by you know, a convicted-killing death either, so... Just throwing that well, out there. no one knows as far as he's concerned. Right. They don't actually have him being with Sirius necessarily. That that is he's true. Just too. That is true too. It will be funny when Theodore not meets Draco Malfoy. <laughs> mm. Oh, I never connected. I'm sorry, I never connected. That was um, Theodore or not? I should have. Isn't it Theodore? Isn't it saying Mister Not? No, and... no, I, no, you're right. I missed the. Yeah. Not. I missed. I, I I listened to it, so sometimes I miss keywords. I I completely had. Um, I completely missed that. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That as far as Dudley goes with um, yeah. not showing much change well for one thing uh, the major difference that I can see is that uh, Draco wasn't happy where he was and Dudley was 
Dudley rather liked being indulged all the time and getting whatever he wanted and True. having tantrums and eating whatever he liked and that sort of stuff. And now he's being told not to. Where Draco was alternately given random things to play with and uh, beaten half to death every night and has been taken away from that. So there's a difference there. Help me out with with the timeline. Oh, I'm here in my um. Hello. Ba, 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 ba. Dudley, Draco. Changing and not changing. He, he, Dudley wanted something about the, the timeline. You said. That sounds fascinating. I wonder where I was going with that. <laughs> uh, like, uh, crap. Yeah, I can't remember where I was going with Some that. Some more Battlestar Galactica, I sense. Oh, season finale. Really good episode, for those of you who didn't see it. The other thing with Dudley is um, you don't see all that much of him in this story up to this point. Uh, yeah, for me, You'll get more as far as he's concerned later. Yeah, because how, how many stories have been... I'm I'm on chapter 37 of the first one. How many stories has Anne written? The fourth one is in progress, and okay. it covers um, years five to seven, I think. How many is she planning to write? I think that's the last one. Okay. Yeah, but um, right. there's been this one, which does from age two up to the platform at four first year. Then the, the next one does year one and year two. The next one does three and four, and then this last one does the rest. And I'm sensing there may be a riot when you stop writing. Can we just tell everyone you're going to keep going indefinitely just to keep the peace? Is that okay with you? Anne has just broken here on Polyrific Weekly, everyone. We'll actually see Hermione going through menopause and Harry looking for retirement options. Everything will be fine. <laughs> so, um, Why wouldn't Dudley get a Hogwarts letter, I guess is my question. Well, we just get to Hogwarts by the end of the story, right? Well, no, because but he's he not said eleven yet. But Scott said we don't see Dudley much anymore. You haven't seen much of him up to this point. You see him more later. Okay, I thought I thought you were making, meaning like you like after this point we weren't going to see much. Okay. No, I have a question, a timeline question here. How old is Dudley when he is taken by the social workers? Um, <laughs> he's about Harry's age, but it's a, a little bit. It's. They've waited for a while before that happens. He's between gone around. Because yeah. I got the sense, and saying it's between four and six, I got the sense that he was gone from Petunia a very long time. So I'm wondering, you know, he's in a new foster home. Like, is she going to pop up like seven years later and say, okay, it's time to come home? Like, I'm wondering if there's like a... Like, that just seemed a little... I wasn't sure on that. That was the one... I didn't know if it was just Petunia in her own special little world over there saying, I'll get them back any day now. And All right, so I think we're getting near the end of this one. What other points did you guys want to bring up from these 17... These mere 17 chapters? Luna's mother's death. Yes. Let's talk, let's talk about that. Go for it. I find it very interesting because I think in canon we knew it was something to do with scrying or a spell she was working on or something like that. Is scrying but, canon? Is scrying in canon? It's a real thing uh, in real life. I know people who scrying, actually. 
I'm not sure if it's mentioned specifically. It's probably... You know people who can scry on other people? Well, who claim they can scry. I mean... I'm sure. I'm skeptical. I don't think they actually do it, but it's like it's a real thing people try to do. Mm-hmm. It's similar to what they were having them do with the crystal balls and such, but I don't think they actually go into that in detail. It's the sort of thing. If they had it exist, it'd probably get covered in year six divination, and no one takes that. So, <laughs> what um, ends up killing her basically is she scries Voldemort. She doesn't realize that at the time, but. If you look at it, she's scrying a big patch of forest with unusually thick shadows, and there's this flicker of movement. And that's the shadow of Voldemort in Albania. Yeah. I mean, this is why you write fan fiction. Okay, you have Luna's mother. You know, it's never explained what happens to her. I've heard stories, you know, that she blew herself up, that she shot herself with her wand, you know, like she ran over herself with a riding lawnmower. I mean... Any number of things could happen to Luna's mother. I thought it was so dramatically cool to have her scry across the world to find, like, it's, you know, just, it's like Star Trek. She hit warp 10 and turned into a slug. I mean, she, you know, she, infinite power, you know, she, she's able to do this wonderful thing. And then the, the hand of Voldemort shatters the glass in front of her and she dies defending her daughter. Cause that, I don't believe was canon. I don't believe saving Luna was canon. I believe it was just an accident. So I just thought that was so great to have, not only to bring Voldemort and have it linked to the primary arc of the series, but to also have it be, you know, a heroic death. She dies saving her daughter's life. And it was, the way it was even described, Luna cried for many months, and then it got better. And I just, I just, I just, that whole scene, I just thought was great. I think canon does mention that Luna sees it or was nearby at the time or was in the house, something like that. But, um, oh, yeah, for the, um, no, for for the, um, what the the hell are the things called? The, um, I can't, the Thestrals? The Thestrals, yes. That's why. But it doesn't say for sure if if that she was, had anything to protect her from, just that she ended up seeing her be killed. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I just, I just thought that was a great scene. Mm -hmm. What else do you guys want to cover? I did have one question for Scott. Um, could you explain the Hermione's age thing? Is there was that that Anne really thought that was the case of their birthday, or is that something she changed for the fic? Or um, which thing that she Hermione that, was younger in yeah. this, where she's older in the canon. Yeah, we didn't know that at the time. It wasn't. Um, well, it wasn't that she's younger. Thing. It's that she wasn't supposed to be in Hogwarts. That Dumbledore bent the rules so she could go to Hogwarts. Hmm. Well, she, it was for, sort of a, together, a logical was the thing age. for her being so incredibly smart that um, she sort of gets bumped up a year or whatever. That happened to my girlfriend, though. I mean, my girlfriend was Hermione as a small child, and she still is to this day. And she, um, as you know, the school year starts in the fall, it starts in September. So she wanted to go to school so badly when she was, you know, three or four or whatever, she wanted to go to kindergarten or nursery school, that she begged them, when can I go to school, when can I go to school? And they kept saying, next year, next year, meaning next September. So on January 1st, she says, I want to go to school now. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we met next September. And she threw such a fit, they let her into school a year early. So she hmm. actually graduated a year, she was a year ahead of everyone in her, because they let her a year early just to shut her up. So, I mean, there is some precedent for it. And for that matter, I don't know whether this is the case outside of New York, but in New York, if your birthday September to December, you jump a year ahead. I think it's different in uh, in England, I think it is, but um, that's probably where the idea came from, that she would be 
Because we knew, I think we knew her well, birthday was in it, September. It wasn't so much that Anne changed her birthday so that she was younger. Mm-hmm. It was more the exception that Dumbledore made that she wasn't supposed to. Like she wasn't wasn't it that she was younger than we thought. It was that she wasn't supposed to be in the same year of Harry at all. And Dumbledore bends the rules to right. let her in. Right. Yeah. I mean, let me just say, I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, the deal was you're either going to be really old for your year next year when you go in Ginny's year, or you're going to be really young for your year if you go in Harry and Ron. I mean, that's fine. I mean, oh, I didn't have a problem with it. I was just wondering if it was based off of something. I'm, it's based on what happened to my girlfriend. She wanted to be with her friends, and that she would raise holy hell and curse people, so Dumbledore bent the rules. The one thing which I... I, th- I think it's probably necessary for a plot reason. I didn't really buy into the... um. Into, into the reason giving for inserting it into the plot was the whole thing with well should we let the den live at Hogwarts and you know and the and, you know the kids can just live there and which which didn't ring true to me on that was you know someone brought up ooh what are we gonna do with that and Dumbledore was like you know what I'm one step ahead yeah we're gonna bring the whole den to Hogwarts because you know because and because the explanation that was given was that you know it's too much to ask kids to use their out of den names all the time and it's too difficult like, the thing was we can't ask 11 year olds to do it I'm like the six year old just beat the crap out of Snape and is hanging from the trees and, and Harry and, and, and Hermione and Draco beat the crap out of Lucius Malfoy when they were like three I mean like in I didn't buy into the fact that that would be... I'm not quite sure. You're saying you didn't get why they would have to keep the disguises going in Hogwarts? No, what occurred to me reading it was that that was where Anne wanted to move the story. She wanted to have Den just move to Hogwarts. And and, and the reason given was that, you know, it would be difficult for 11-year-olds to be outside the Den. It's difficult for... 18-year-olds to go to college, but you learn. And I think that... I mean, these kids are the most brilliant characters in the story for a change. Every other kid does it. Yeah, but but no, it is. It's like, these kids are sharp as a tack, and they're doing well on their own. You think they need you? (laughs) You have missed everything. I think it's more they thought it would be too much to always have to pretend to be um, Harry Black and the rest. Um, Why do they they have to pretend that? Well, no, it was. Maybe I didn't understand the... um, Maybe I didn't understand... What was going to happen? I took it to be that they would they would go to their classes with everyone, but at the end of the day, they would go back to the den room, and they would stay in the den room, kind of like you're like none other. You know, Harry just sleeps in Snape's quarters all the time. I thought it would be something like that, not that they would be isolated from the student body at Hogwarts or something. Maybe I'm just misinterpreting it. Because what I actually saw was I thought that would cause more problems because then everyone would be asking, well, why your pa- why is your entire family live here? Like, like I thought. That would... I, I, I'm with Ryan on this. I thought the same thing. Actually, I'm with Ryan. You see, right? Go, go, God. What did I do? Anne has informed me I'm making a big deal out of a throwaway line. So hopefully that was what she's talking about. Maybe that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, circumstances can change in that many years. Well, I mean, I, I guess I understand Harry. They have to keep Harry Potter secret because he's supposedly kidnapped. But I mean, is he going to be living? Like, isn't at some point doesn't he have to come out that he's Harry Potter? Are they planning to have him live his entire life in? Secrecy. I they haven't thought that far they ahead. They haven't thought that far ahead. I mean, I'll just back up to my thing. From that particular point, not knowing what I was making a big deal of here, I'll try and piece it together the best I can. I thought that was like a random reason for being concerned since these kids had shown so much you know, ingenuity, ingenuity already. And I didn't think that that was something that Dumbledore would be, would be so concerned with that he would you know, already have thought that far ahead and be willing to. That was one of the few things that just, it, it, either I didn't read it right or it just kind of false, but we'll talk about that in the interview, and Anne can beat me over the head with a throw pillow. 
And I agree with you about the drawing attention that I think it would draw more attention to them if they didn't have the normal student life. If they didn't, you know, why are they the only students that don't, you know, live in the dorms that go somewhere else? Could you imagine if the Weasleys all moved into Hogwarts and, like, Molly's, like, walking (laughs) down the hallway in, like, her bathrobe and her hair in it? Poor Ron! That is what I think of that. Poor Ron! She'd terrorize the house elves. She would? She'd take over the kitchen and they wouldn't know what to do. She would. would. (laughs) Let me make sure... All right. I understand what you were saying correctly. All right. So, so you're saying, I guess it's it, the problem for you wasn't in terms of it not being the intelligent choice to make. It, it was in terms of you think the kids were capable of handling it. Um, not knowing what because apparently I misinterpreted something. But as I read it, it implied to me that because of their particular circumstance in the quote-unquote witness protection program, that, you know, they have these this alter identity. You know, it didn't seem to me that staying in that alternate identity for eight hours out of a day or however many days out of a year would be so taxing on the kids that you needed to take huge steps to, you know, rectify that, which could cause more problems in and of itself, considering that the kids have done so well as it is, and it's actually the parents who are screwing everything up. But I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting from Anne here by her... Um, glee at the thought of hitting me over the head with a throw pillow that maybe I just misread it. So we'll talk about that with her next week. I guess... I'll just try to sh- shut up then and not say anything. My thoughts on that? I don't know. What are you thinking, Ann? Should Mike shut up? <laughs> Mike, oh. it's completely at your discretion whether or not you want to shut up. It's just like one of those, like, it's up to you, but pick the correct <laughs> Exactly. It's up to you! <laughs> So, um, I think we're getting near the end tonight. We jumped a lot of plot points in these many, 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 many chapters that we read. This is, I'm really enjoying the story. I love the fact that it's it's a fantasy story. It doesn't take itself incredibly seriously. It does at times. You know, there are little things which, you know, you always wonder what to bring up in the podcast like this. There were little things in the story that didn't do much for me. Anne's asking me right now if I ever was into theater. Um, the whole Shakespeare thing, I kind of brushed past that, which is unfortunate because the probably the key to the whole damn thing was in the Shakespeare scene. That kind of stuff I tend to gloss over when I read. Like, sometimes people, the songs, they gloss through. You know, moments like that, I, I kind of found myself glossing over. Other moments I just thought were terrific. I thought the final I battle... I glossed over prophecy. I can't read prophecies. They bore okay, me. But those are somewhat important. But but you but they talk about them after. Like, you don't have to read the actual... I guess it's the lyrical part of prophecy. Did you read like. the prophecy in the canon? No. Did you know how it was in the end when you got there? Were you surprised? I mean, they talk about it, so I knew it was one dies or the other. Because the prophecy itself never made sense to me again. I still, people tell me that prophecy all the time, I'm like, I don't get it. It makes absolutely no logical sense to me. Did you read the prophecy in the canon? No. But you've determined that Aletha is a death eater. Yeah. What does it mean, one one can't live while the, wait, you say the line to me. Neither, Neither can live while, while the, the other, other survives. survives. What does that mean? How does that mean? What is to kill the other? Oh, it's just like a bloodbath in here today. Neither can live. While Mike's getting survive. very upset over here about the prophecy. Are you listening to this? Guy? Aren't they alive right now? Clearly, they could both be alive while the others are living. I mean, they're doing it right this second as the prophecy's being spoken. Well, before we answer that, I think we should address the more important question. How dumb are you? The whole they can't have, have their full life that they'd want. Voldemort can't take over the whole world if Harry's around. Harry can't live with no one attacking him Mike, every June. Kind of, Mike, around. it's kind of like, you know, Air America and Rush Limbaugh. One of them must go for the other to be happy. Oh, that, that's, that, that really means one has to kill. I mean, ah, it's, it's kind of like it's one of those, this happens with all prophecies. They only make logical sense after. 
after it's over. And then you can look back and go, oh, I see. Metaphysically, he can't be happy and complete unless he kills the other. But, I mean, like, if you actually read it word for word, who says, who reads those exact words and knows that has to mean you have to kill the other one? It didn't say anything about killing. It just says, neither can... Well, I, I forget the line already. Did you read the prophecy in the canon? No. But whatever it is, it means, like... It never actually... He said they're both living right then, so clearly there's something contradictory going on. Yeah, the prophecy as a whole is a little weird and doesn't quite make sense. Maybe that whole neither thing has something to do with them both being horcruxes of each other, which none of us knew until the end. Horcruxes uh, muddy everything. So, you know, the prophecy doesn't even matter in the end. Pointless. I hate prophecy. No, the only point, the only reason that prophecy mattered at all was that Voldemort believed it and kept attacking people because of it. Yes. <laughs> so really, it could have meant, could have meant anything you wanted to. That's like, right, Mike. It could have meant anything in the world. Like, give me, I forget the line. Give me the line again. Neither can live while the other survives. It, I, I, oh, pisses me off. So it right, makes no sense. Did you read the prophecy in the canon? No. The whole killing thing comes from the beginning, you know which what, is Scott, the Scott, one Scott, who can Scott, vanquish the Dark Lord is coming, etc., etc. Yeah, let, let's vanquish, let's kill. You know? Scott, I have an idea. Let's go with this, Mike. You're right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You are right. You have found a it massive no plot sense, hole. Really, it's a weird the wind out of my sail. There, yeah, right? it, it, it didn't. The whole thing just didn't mean anything. Um, all right. With that, I think what? we have we have we have nailed down chapters yeah. twenty four through thirty seven. We have done it without the women. Testosterone rules. Girls are evil. Girls have cooties. And love you. And um, with that, we will be back next week with the final chapters of Living with Danger. We're going to do thirty eight to what. 50? 50. Is there an epilogue? Um, I don't believe that there is one for this one. It's just... Yes, there is. Oh, well, there you go. You know what? Why don't we throw that epilogue in? We'll do the whole package deal. So let's throw the epilogue in, too. Um, we'll discuss that next week, and then we're going to have Anne on the podcast. We're going to let her actually speak, and and we'll be actually um, able um, to... Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. I thought there wasn't really... <laughs> She's counting the epilogue as the next, the whole next story. Yeah. Anne is uh, messing with us, and she's throwing off my monologue. I just have to tell you all that. I love the jokes you're flogging when you are monologuing. I like monologues. I thought, uh, oh, I see. So living without them means they go to. I thought it was like I, I was imagining all sorts. They're living of without scenarios. danger because they go to Hogwarts. You're right, Mike. You're right. Mike yeah. is <laughs> my uh, see Mike Mike heard it from me. All right, with that, thirty-eight to fifty next week, and then we're gonna have Anne on the show, and Anne's gonna explain to Mike just how right he is. Testosterone <laughs> rules, and have a wonderful night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Just be glad the fourth trap was broke that day Cause you grabbed a guitar and I heard you say That the top of the pops better get ready For the new hit single from the Weasler Goes from I'm going to thumb my nose at Richard tonight because I did something that wasn't Harry Jenny, and he's not here. And he's he didn't probably turn up. watching a movie or getting pulled over by the cops. By the cops. <laughs> he didn't bother to you know,
we should we tell everybody what happened to last we? week? That's that's mean. We sure, should. Why not? Well, it's not me. It's Puffwa. Although it, when it wasn't him, he wasn't driving. We went to record people, and Richard wasn't here. And we found out later that he, instead of being here, he was in the car. Actually, speeding, instead of being wasn't here, driving, he decided to go to the movies and got pulled over. Decided to go to the movies. But he'd be out in time. And his punishment was to be sitting in the passenger seat when they got pulled over by the cops. Pull over. Passenger, step out of the vehicle. Presumably speeding back home because they were late. So kids, don't speed. And we don't know where he is now. Although I talked to him several hours ago and we talked about the whole, oh, are you going to go to the movies tonight and maybe get pulled over by a cop before we record for Peoncast? Oh, oh, you're so funny. Ha, 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 ha. And guess what? No, Richard. Maybe he's in the lockup this time. I don't know. That's a possibility. Well, what did you think of the thick? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to introduce ourselves. Oh, right, 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 right. right. That's important. <laughs> well, Gentoo, this is your fix. You get to play host. All right, then. Welcome back to Peoncast. I am Gentoo. I'm P.S. And I'm Keza. We are talking about a fic tonight called Falling Free by Electo. It is the first song fic that I have ever chosen. And it is also the very first puppy fic that I have ever chosen. And it is also the first slash fic that I have ever chosen. So it's, it's a lot of firsts on my part. <laughs> well, this is the this is the first puppy fic on piano cast because nobody else chose one. It is the first puppy fic. When I found it, I knew that I wanted to do it on Peon Cast because of some of the imagery that was in the fic. <laughs> I'm just still surprised that I actually chose a song fic and a slash fic, <laughs> and it's not Harry Jenny. And I'm actually doing it on podcast, so I'm just. <laughs> well, Harry Ginny slash would be a little disturbing. Well, yeah, like <laughs> but I'm just, I'm still so shocked, you know, that I'm actually doing something. I chose something that's not Harry Ginny. That I'm. I am really proud of you, Jen. I am very, very proud. Well, and the whole fact that I didn't even know it was a song fic. It didn't say it was a song fic. It is not offensively a song fic. The song does not take over the fic. I don't get into a lot of song picks because a lot of them are so poorly done. So I try to stay away from them. I guess I'm already song pickest. Well, you'll know how, how intensely picky I am. And see, most of the song picks that are out there are for songs that I don't like. So, and I yeah. like this song. Well, anyway, what, we should, really we saying should, something because I'm not really one of those music Well, people. we should tell them it's David Gray's Falling Free. So did you get to listen to the song? Kaza. I did listen to some of the song, yes. Isn't it a great song? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's mad, I don't know. It's all right. It's, I don't it's think a- it's my kind of thing, really. You're either into it or not into it. I love David Gray. I love him a good deal. I've heard worse, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't have any idea what it really was when I opened it up. All I knew was that it was a puppy fic. And she was looking for a puppy fic. I gotta say, I was really surprised when you, you came to me looking for puppy fics. I was in the mood for Sirius <laughs> and Remus. I had to go in my stash and look for ones, but none of them really worked for drama. And then she found this one, which it is It had great. to be understated. It had to be classy. And it couldn't be too over the top. I got it in this one, so. did. You did. Bravo. You know, there there's some things about it that I can start up, which I can snark up any one shot, but <laughs> <laughs> most of it's grammar and tense and all that other stuff. There's a lot of really awesome imagery in this story, and it just made me all 
chills. And, and so that's why I chose it. So I'm kind of excited to talk about it. Plus, you know, I get to talk about Sirius and Raymond. <laughs> Let's go. I will say one thing, and it's I usually don't like the kind of stories where it's mostly just paragraphs and paragraphs of stuff and not a lot that's actually happening. Where it's just like paragraphs, paragraphs of thinking. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that make any sense? And it's, it's trying to be all artsy and whatever. And I usually don't like those because they usually bore me to tears. <laughs> and I think this might be the only one like that that I like. And watch watch me go pick a one that's paragraphs and paragraphs of thinking next week, but <laughs> this is this is PS's possibly untrue declaration for the week. <laughs> Well, and another reason I like this is that in a lot of puppy fix, it's always Remus that's after Sirius. Yeah. And this yeah. one, it's the other way around. It's definitely an interesting spin on yeah. it. So, so anyway, I guess let's talk about the fic. So I just told you why I was not keen on it. I know Keza has her own opinion. I'll let <laughs> both of you weigh in and then we'll see where we're at. What really got me was just how well crafted in terms of thinking it through and having it be like the names the names change what it's or what they're referring to you know like it's it's Mooney and Padfoot and then I think you're talking about at the beginning it's just the wolf and the boy and the dog yes yeah. yes that's what it is I like the way the names don't come into it until until after they speak it. it's right. after they speak when they, when they're just yeah that's it it's when he's just watching is it serious watching Remus, and then when they speak after that, but they're using the names in the dialogue, their descriptions are still dog, the dog boy, the wolf, and then when they finish that conversation, it uses their names, and it sort of changes the mood of it. Yeah, it becomes more intimate. Yeah, before it was just like you're watching a scene. It's a, I almost felt like I'm standing in the doorway watching this scene of these two people, and then they speak and use their names, and then after the conversation finishes, it, it's like you've been drawn in through over the threshold. Yeah, that was one of the things mm-hmm. that caught me right off. I noticed it right off the bat and I thought, ooh, that was a really good transition. And then it changes and it uses Remus Lupin. Mm-hmm. It uses his, it's, and it becomes more formal. And that sort of is the precursor to when it moves into the same timeline mm-hmm. as Canon is in. It sort of gives it a more formal, a more serious tone for that ending. Because it's like, without the other marauders, he can't be Mooney. Well, yeah. that and... That's also Well, true. how did I think of it? That and it separates him. It makes him more of a man. Yeah. And it's, it's talking and it's like, it says the, the starlight graces Remus Lupin's head like a halo. Remus doesn't know it. The moon shines full and bright on his tortured face. So he's actually the wolf at that stage, but it's still using his name. Remus's head bows to the ground and his muzzle touches the dewy grass. It's... I read that really badly. (laughs) But... It's using his name instead of, you know, before he was Remus and they called him the wolf and now when he's the wolf they've called him Remus. Yeah. It's like switched it. It's like there's a lot of little things in it are all writery and I think that <laughs> that's not the word either. <laughs> but but you know how we were talking about how song fix can be done mm-hmm. really bad because that, that person grabs the song and it all hangs on the song. This I think the reason this one works better as a song fix is because it doesn't hang on the song because yeah, there's you actual could not read skill. the lyrics. There's skill behind the writing, and it's got its own nuances as well, like those sort of things. I mean, and it's still pertinent to the lyrics. It just you could you could take all the lyrics out, and it would stand on its own. Because that's. 
actually, to tell you the truth, that's what I did the first time because, because like I was like, oh no, not another song fix. So I just kind of skimmed through it without like looking at the lyrics. I never read lyrics. I never read lyrics. It works. And then I went back and I listened to the song because Jen was saying, oh, you have to listen to the song. Well, you know how I'm not a fan of newspaper articles being dumped in the in the middle of a fic and or at the beginning of a. I can't stand them either. And Deathly Hollows. And yes, just oh, I hated it. I had to. I skimmed over. Had to go back and read the same thing. I like that one because it was about Albus, but well, it depends. I didn't mind reading the book about Albus. It was when they that, that newspaper that, that Harry was reading in the beginning of Deathly Hallows. First time through, I skimmed it. I'm like, oh. But the, the one that really got me was Goblet of Fire. Whenever they put them oh in, God. I skimmed them a lot. Half I always skim. Of Goblet of Fire is a newspaper article. I know. I always skim the Sorting Hat songs <laughs> as well. <laughs> when people put lyrics in fix, I completely skim them as well. I don't Do you, mind a song I, fix. It's like, ugh. This, this is my take on it, though. I don't like when the things are dumped into the middle of the story to not make sense. That includes newspaper articles it includes but if you're going to be inspired by the song then that needs to come through in your writing not or you need to put in an author's notes I was listening to such and such when I wrote this and I think it's influenced the mood or whatever or even better your writing should stand alone and speak for itself that that it's mm-hmm. come through I think if it, if if you're being influenced by some meaningful piece okay can I tell you that some of these descriptions that she, he, I'm just going to assume that it's a she because it's electo, that she uses in this are really, really good. Like the scratches on his hands and arms are a shade of burning scarlet and stand out in stark contrast to the milk white of the rest of his body. Or his eyes stay on the face of the boy who has stopped shivering and if dogs could smile, this one does. I mean, you can just... I like that one. And there was one in the back was a halo part. Well, I say one thing, because I thought that... Actually, he lopes toward the woods looking for the say. city dog who always waited for him before. Oh, which one did you think you were... I was going to say. I know, I... I thought you were going to say when you started saying, I, it seemed like, I, I get what she's trying to do with the names and the thi- and things like that, but it seemed like there were a lot of euphemisms. Yeah. That annoys me and fix it, a lot, actually, when people do does. that, when they don't need to. I saw to. this thing, it's, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to find it because it was so funny and it was showing how wrong, it, it was making fun of all these euphemisms yeah. and it was a sex scene. It was a sex scene, a <laughs> sex scene, and it was saying things like, oh, like, the green-eyed man kissed the potion yeah. master, and, and it sounded like it was like an orgy. Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to be, I just, supposed to be making fun of those. I don't like it when fix do that too the much, because I'm thinking, uh, there's this one that, for some reason, always pops in my mind, the two magical children walked hand in hand down the stairs, for example, and I'm just like, just call them Harry and Ginny, why are we calling them the two magical children. I'm just like, just call them Harry and Judy. We know who they are. It's like, like I was just saying, I mean, like, or like it has nothing to do with what you're doing. It'll be like, yeah. in a sex scene, at least refer to Snape as the potions master. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> exactly. That, like, that totally yeah. isn't sexy. No. <laughs> like... I mean, obviously, and obviously, in this story, it's I mean, like, the, the authors used it as a device. Yeah, it's a stylistic right. it's, device. It's, yeah. yeah, I think it makes more sense in this fic. It does. Okay. Yeah, I need to analyze something. <laughs> <laughs> I need to analyze right. this relationship, and P.S. can help me because she's all into this type fic. Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot. I don't thought it either. <laughs> okay. 
So Sirius and Remus wake up and Remus asks if Sirius has ever loved any of his girlfriends. And Sirius, you know, basically says no. First, he says something about Molly. No. He says, no. Mo- he, he meant- no, there's Molly. Molly, that really threw me out of the story because she's supposed to be a yeah, that good deal. Surely she be. didn't mean Molly. Where's Molly? I didn't even say, I can't even see Molly. That's like, that That throws me out of the story like, um, yeah. like Umbridge yeah. and Shoebox. He says, do I have to? He's a young like, man people, still. People no minion But I was curious. Padfoot is silent for a long time. Maybe once he says finally, Molly meant something. Mooney knew this. Why did you leave her? Padfoot is surprised. She didn't love me. It wasn't right to keep her. Surely that name isn't in there, and they're not referring to Molly Weasley. Yeah, I mean, you don't just use, you don't, like, make up names. I think it would have been better to choose another without name. Without thinking about it, yeah. Because we you already just have Molly make Weasley. make up throwaway characters and use famous characters' names. It makes you think yeah. of Molly Weasley, and I honestly do not it think that's be. who it is. <laughs> Because because she's clearly so much older than Sirius and James and Lily. Obviously, isn't she supposed to be married by then. I mean, isn't she supposed well, to be? Bill well, is only. And when's Bill born? Oh, uh, well, let's fuck. not get into this again. But no, no. But seriously, though, because James and Lily had Harry straight out of school. Bill's like ten years older than Jenny, right? Yeah, he's like ten. Well, he's left. He's left Hogwarts presumably at least two years by the time Harry and Ron start Hogwarts. So I'd say 10 years, Molly got married at least 10 years prior. You know, so he's at least sort of, what, 20-ish then because Harry and Ron are 11 and he's, you know, so he's around, you know, he's around his early 20s when they start But Hogwarts. then Molly is, Molly seems to think he's going to be too old to get married. That always, See, that always threw me off. Yeah, but sometimes people think that their kids are too old to get married if they're 21 and they haven't, you know, it depends on that. <laughs> That, you know, she's of, she's definitely of the sort of, not a full generation, but she's yeah, too, she's definitely she's too at least old ten to years be older. Serious, involved with Sirius, yeah. Because I, be, I think by the time Harry and Ron were born, and and James and Lily and Sirius and Remus and all them were leaving Hogwarts, Bill was already you know about ten yeah. years old or something. Because he's about ten years older than yeah. than Ron and Harry, give or take a okay. year or two. All right, yeah. Or he can't be less. So, and so I yeah. don't. I think using Molly instead of say Lucy or Betty or you know, you could use. There's right. how many girls' names are there out there? They could even have picked an exotic one, you know, like from some other nationality or Katrina or you know. You don't sit down to make up a random person's name and then make up. You use the name of a main when, character. What's no, funny is that we just got off on this, and that much. wasn't even my real train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. What, what I was... My train what of thought was is, your train is of Remus thought? actually acknowledging Sirius before, you know, Sirius actually kisses him. Yes. I, I think yes. so. Why did he ask him? That's the thing. Why? See, I got this impression that... See, it says a smile plays on the lips of the wolf boy as he watches a shaft of moonlight draw dew in the other boy's hair. So he wakes up and he he sees Sirius, and to me that says that he's actually got a bit of a thing for him. He's smart. He's still sitting there. He's sat up with him all night. They then they say you've stood up, Mary. Right. You know. Right. And then so I think that Remus he sort of has been suspecting, and he wants to make Sirius admit it. I stayed with many a guy because he had a nice big dog. Right, and so then you know when Sirius I mean? admits it, then Remus decides that he can't deal with it. Is it denial then? Because um, I think that, like that Remus is then like, because I, I imagine that it's because then it says, like, he does love me, 
and he can't because I'm dangerous, you know, because he does that with Tom. Ah. And although that's a canon reaction, I think, you know, and it's, I mean, a reaction to a female, it's a still a canon reaction for Remus to then go, I'm hopeless and awkward and desperate for love. He does love me. And, and he probably, you know, the fact that he smiled at me, he likes that he, he does, but he's then thinking, no, he can't because I'm too So dangerous. that's the whole curled into a ball so tight and so far away from him as though, ah, la, la, la. When I read it, that's I read what it, I, think. I read it as denial. I didn't think that was. I thought he was rejecting him on the level the same way he rejected Tonks in canon because then when you get down to the bit that's where Sirius is in jail and the wolf is lonely, there's a bit there, a dull sigh starts in the pit of his stomach and the sensation of a third hand reaching from his chest. That is the, a mirror of so what serious. happened. Yes. Up. Okay, well... Yeah, Padfoot watches Mooney and there's a dull sigh in the pit of his stomach and a third hand reaching through his chest. They're both denying it, I think. I'm sorry, I'm a wee bit confused. Um, I'm not going to put this delicately. You're a raging mo yourself. I think it's even so subtle that it doesn't say why they think or say what they think or why they think it. It's just they both clearly love each other, but they don't do anything about it. That is so sad. Yes. They're both, that, that, I think the, the sigh in their stomach and this heart, this hand that reaches through their chest is their desire. That's symbolizing their desire. Sirius throws her, he's like, oh, I've got Mary. Oh, what she doesn't know won't hurt her. And he gives in. And then Remus is like, no, no, this can't. And, you know, when they wake up, he's curled up in a ball. Then it says Padfoot sleeps in the chair now. And he sees the gray glimmer of doubt in Mooney's eyes. So he, I think Sirius took a chance. And then Remus sort of went, no, I'm too dangerous and pulled away from him. So Sirius goes back to kissing the girls. But it's the next part is when you see that, that Remus didn't mean it. He was pushing him away because he, at the full moon, he's feeling that same sigh and he's missing him so much that, and he, he probably regrets that he had to do it. But, you know, he's probably, he's got that yeah. noble streak <laughs> that, you know, I need to, I need to stay away from him because I'm, I'm dangerous. Yeah. Sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and then like you have he does that. with Tonks. It's very sad. That wrenching paragraph where it says, "Many hundreds of miles away, a haggard young man with sallow skin and sunken eyes stares through the bars of his cell." (laughs) You know, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like brushing away the tears on my face. I'm like, I'm serious. (laughs) He curses. You know, like (laughs) it's going on in large meadow miles from here, and he curses the moon. I'm like, what? Sorry. I can't do anything. I just can't do anything. with his best friend and his other half is himself. (laughs) (laughs) See, I thought it got a bit much there. That's where it lost me, actually. I was like, oh, come on. Because I I think that could be it's been really overdone. I've read a couple of serious fix where they're writing him in jail and... I don't know. I just—it's too depressing. <laughs> well, obviously, it's too much. Obviously, I can people just it because I just cracked up. Well, I can, I can, I can skip that paragraph and then you know move on to the the innocent part and you know and and yeah. it, it can be about the big black dog and the marauders romping around and yeah. the clarity and hoping he was forgiven and he can see his friend again and. <laughs> You know, and then I can hear the David Gray song going in the back of my head, and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) And then I can remember the first night that I read this story, and I can remember pinging P.S. and going, Oh my God, I found it. (laughs) 
I found it. I'm like, you have to read it. You have to read it. And then I read it, and I was like crying and shaking, and it was, it was, oh god. <laughs> She's like, this is the best one ever. She's like, thank you, thank you for not picking Carrie and Jenny. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for picking the puppies. Thank you. <laughs> I've gotten a little silly at this point, but <sighs> that was a complete departure from anything that I would ever normally read. And although it was fun, it was very angsty and it was very puppyfied. You're not going to pick it again. <laughs> is, th- is this my one reprieve? No, no, I don't think it's your one reprieve. From Harry Jenny. <laughs> I'm going to try to do a better job of being more diverse. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have my Harry and Jenny. That's good. I might have to branch out to Ron and Hermione. Well, you're welcome to mine my stash. <laughs> <laughs> or Neville and Luna. <laughs> Ew, ugh. I am so diverse. I, yeah, you I might be more so diverse special. than me, though. <laughs> That's funny. I guess, do we have any idea what we're doing next? Ooh, is Absolutely it mine? Is no. it mine? Um, maybe. It is yours, P.S. Which one is it's it? It's Elemental by Purple Fluffy Cat. Yes. That's the one it is. It's romance fluff. It is Ooh. It is the closest I can come to fluff with the ships I like. <laughs> with that, I think we will sign off and bid everyone good night. Okay. I am Gen 2. I am P.S. I am Keza. And good night. Night. Mercy me. Fall free. Mercy me. Falling free, mercy, falling.